Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, starring Harrison Ford, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Antonio Banderas, John Rhys-Davies, and Mads Mikkelsen. Written by Jez Butterworth, John Henry Butterworth, David Kep, and James Mangold, and directed by James Mangold. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to keep this summer train churning along, and we got another big uh, release uh, to discuss with you today, another small batch release, but kind of related to last week's Kingdom of the Crystal Skull episode. Uh, and this is a big one, Matt. This was number one on our list of highest moneymakers uh, prediction of the summer. Indiana yeah. Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the fifth film of this uh, interesting series that definitely has its ups and downs. Uh, and we'll have to kind of see where today's entry kind of fits in with that. But, yo, we got a lot to talk about, don't we? <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a show that uh, you know we talked about last week being really loaded. And uh, I don't think this conversation is going to go the way that either one of you had, either one of us had hoped it would start when we made our picks to start the summer. And that's not to say the film's terrible. I'm not going to say that. I'm not weighing in on good or bad. But, yeah. Uh, this is not at all what I thought. I did not think we would be having this discussion uh, on the post November, I'm sorry, July 4th weekend, but here we are. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> Indeed. So again, here I'm just tapping into another bottle again. Uh, Basil Hayden's Subtle Smoke. Oh, I think we had this one earlier in the year, and there's a smidge left in it. So I'm going to polish off the rest of this today. You yeah. got any, you got anything over there? Mai Tai. Mai Tai. A Mai Tai. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Wrapping up the you know, the the vacation drinks here. Well, let's go ahead and dive right into our flight question. So what do you got for us this week, Matt? So the backstory on this is what I originally had thought of, and I want to give that structure information to sort of understand where we came to on this one. Okay. I was just thinking about the totality of Harrison Ford's career, and I thought it might be a fun discussion to challenge a popular convention, and that's the battle of 80 stars between Schwarzenegger and Stallone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes back and forth, and they've even sort of addressed it with each other, and sometimes a comedic and sometimes a little less than comedic way. That's Stallone and Schwarzenegger. And, you know, you could say, well, it's this one or this one, but I thought what might be fun to do is throw Ford in there Mm -hmm. and then rank in not totality of box office, but maybe box office, but memorable characters Mm -hmm. who might be in the front on that. And I realized that I don't know if we'd have much of a discussion because although there's some other yeah. ones that are worth mentioning. It kind of is Harrison Ford. Yeah. So then that led into question B, <laughs> which is going to be the one we're going to pose now, and that's okay. So let's take those three actors, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. and Ford, and give me your top five characters that the three of them have played 
in any any version of media. So if you want to do uh, voiceovers or you want to do animated or wherever you want to go with it, that's fine. But give me your top five. And this is just by preference, like, or uh, maybe longevity, like um, impact on, on cinema longevity. So the way this list could work out the way you pitched it to me is like, man, there could be like four Fords, a Stallone and no Schwarzenegger on my list. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what you got there. Before we get started, yeah. have you burned uh, the Arnold documentary on Netflix? Uh, I know that it's out. I'm sorry, I haven't really. I mean, we've had access to Netflix, but sure. uh, I have not. I probably will hit that when we get home here in about a week. Yeah. Um, as much as I loved him growing up, I've been kind of out on him for the last five or six years. Yeah. Like, just kind of tired of him shooting his mouth up and saying some of the stupid shit that he says. But I, I'll be honest with you, like I'm going to tune in and see what he's got going on. So it, it, it's kind of interesting. Certainly gregarious. Yeah. Be good. It's kind of interesting the way it's broken up because like the first episodes just all about his bodybuilding career and then episode yeah. two is all about uh his movie career and then episode three is all about like his political career and like his like you know affairs and you know his personal life so um mm. yeah it sounds pretty interesting and then i i think i heard that they're gonna do a sly one in november that's kind of you know structured the same way so that one i will be over there on opening night yeah you mean you're not I'm wa- glad that, that's good yeah, i'm glad to hear that you said they're gonna do the third piece of that which yeah. is yeah, his political life, but all of the scandals that mm-hmm. kind of went along with that. So I'd be really curious to see what he has to say about that. Uh, I have heard of this other reality show on uh, Paramount Plus right now, which is the Stallone family. It's like him and his three daughters and his wife that I thought he divorced, but I guess they're back together. And oh, it's good. it's like the Kardashians, but like with the Stallone family. But I haven't watched it. But from what I've heard, it's just it it features a lot of wacky like like sly things like a lot of Frank Stallone that you weren't imagining. <laughs> oh wow, how great. Yeah. And I think there was like a pretty cool like either a dinner or a poker game. I think like Dolph Lundgren came over or something. So, yeah, that might be That's an interesting cool. snapshot if you can kind of stomach the rest of what's going on there too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All righty. Do you want to? Did, look- did speaking of Stallone, did you ever get into? Uh, have you done Tulsa King yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done a, a few episodes. I just, I just got to finish it up. But you know, Taylor Sheridan, you know, it's good writing in that yeah. show, and yeah, he's he's pretty good. Um, yeah. yeah, a good good little good little get for him. Good. All right. Cool. All right. Let's do our number fives. Uh, I'll go first. Coming in at okay. number five. Hang on, I. I- <laughs> Did I forget my list already? Uh, <laughs> hang on one second. Okay, yeah, got it, got it. Number five for me, I'm going Rick Deckard. Uh, this is a Ford roll from Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we don't need to go into a lot of detail on why I included that. I need people that know me and have listened to the podcast know the affinity I have for that film, even though we haven't done an episode on it yet, but... Uh, it's a very complicated character compared to, you know, a lot of stuff that Arnold and Sly, you know, really got offered and playing. Like, I don't know if we're trying to stack up, you know, uh, you know, uh, Gabriel Cash uh, is complexity compared to like Rick Deckard and everything he's kind of got going on on in that film. And maybe it wouldn't have made my list if it weren't for his um coming back to the role in 2049 and he's really good in that movie and kind of that like late Harrison Ford resurgence where I thought he started giving a shit again uh, mm-hmm. and, and really embracing, you know, Han Solo and those roles again. So yeah, I'm going to give it to Decker number five. 
great choice. I knew that was going to show up on your list sooner or later. This is what's fun about the list is it doesn't have to be a movie. It can be the totality of both pieces of work. So yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, this will be the only entry for this actor on my list. And this is Mr. Schwarzenegger checking in at number five mm-hmm. with his version of the Terminator that includes one and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess everything else after that, um, I think that those two characters, particularly the first iteration were a masterclass in science fiction horror. Mm-hmm. And I think he played icy really well as a guy that has pretty comedic chops. I think Stallone has pretty comedic chops. Yeah. Uh, it was nice to see him in these early stages, pull this off the way that he did. And that's a very, very memorable series for a lot of different reasons, but it's pretty hard to argue with the success of either one or T2. So yeah, he checks in for me. Sadly enough, yeah. Jingle All the Way will not appear on my list, but you know, sometimes it's or, or Mr. Freeze. Uh, he won't make it either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> great choice. It's also my number four uh, from Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially from, you know, he played it again in three. They you, digitally used his face in four. And then, yeah, Genesis and then Dark Fate. So, yeah, he's played it several times but yeah those first two iterations are amazing the the silent uh stalker boogeyman version is awesome and horrifying and then the the protector the the father figure is played equally as well so uh we've done episodes on both those films go list them out because i think you know we're very um very uh kind to arnold in in those performances the only thing we're not kind to uh, and I did go see this at the Academy Award Museum was uh, the the prosthetic bust that they they made him in that first one. You remember how awful that thing was? Yes, I do. Oh, man, just so like jelly looking and then, you know, have his real hands in front of it. So that just doesn't play very well. What's your number four? Chuck it up to time in a mere miss. Yeah. Uh, number four for me, this will be first appearance for Mr. Sylvester Sloan, and this is John Rambo checking in at four. Mm-hmm. That's across the entire continuum of appearances. Uh, I don't know if that franchise as a whole gets enough respect from beginning to end with, I think, how successful it's been. That was something that they figured out in one. Yeah and didn't stray too far from it until they went hyper-violent a little bit later on. Mm -hmm. But each one of those films I find to be really, really entertaining. And I think that character, although the complexities of that character devolve as we get further and further away from one, where we might lose some internal conflict or pathos possibly, we more than make up with some crazy mm-hmm. violence in action sequences, let the bodies hit the floor. So John Rambo at number four for me on this list. Great choice. Thank you. What do you got? Three. My, my number three, I am going with Han Solo, classic character from Star Wars. So he's played it four times, and then he had that little cameo in Rise of Skywalker, if you remember that. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, what can you say about such an iconic character that's, you know, suave, roguish, swashbuckling? Uh, yeah, there's, a, I think, a reason why Han Solo is everyone's favorite Star Wars character for the most part. Uh, he just oozes cool, and he's just, you know, whether he's being frozen in carbonite or, you know, the Kessel Run or his outfit and his costuming, that character yeah. is just so important to why those films were successful and... uh 
Yeah, I, I, and I loved getting uh, to see him do it again for Force Awakens. I, I would think I was really nervous for that movie because I was like, what version of Ford are we getting in this thing? He's actually mm-hmm. and he's actually pretty good in it. Um, you know, spoiler alert, you know, for the $2 billion movie, but, you know, they do him in. And I think, you know, I thought I thought that felt earned the way that that, that, that film built up to it. Agreed. Yeah. So much so, in fact, that's also my number three. So we both share Han Solo in that position. I can't add much more to it than what you've added. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than rugged and sarcastic, I think the importance of how that was to be done was laid out pretty clearly for an entire decade by the mm-hmm. work that he did in A New Hope. Yeah. Yeah. You forgot. Boy, if Han Solo's number three on our list, Jesus Christ, yeah. what could be two and one, huh? Yeah. You forgot Nerve Herder in your uh, description there. Number two for me, legendary character. We did about six episodes on him. It's Rocky Balboa. Uh, legendary uh, in every iteration. I love, you know, how that character grows, evolves, his arcs, his struggle, his triumphs, uh, his barriers that he has to overcome. His stories are infinitely interesting. And then that carries on to the Creed stuff that we just did earlier in the year. So, um, yeah, excellent, excellent character. It's my favorite Sylvester Stallone performance in that uh, first Rocky film. Um, yeah, uh, what more can you say? And we've done collectively probably close to fourteen hours just talking about that character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, not to mention the other tidbits we've thrown in many a podcast about that same character. Exactly. Uh, so our two and one are going to be flip flop with each other, not mm-hmm. to let anybody's cat out of the bag. But your um, well, so, so it's me. My number two is Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, back-to-back appearances from Harrison Ford. Uh, some qualities that are similar to Han Solo. I think that this, however, is a much more physical role. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to make light of how taxing that could be. Now, Harrison Ford, as a man, had a career as a carpenter long before he ever became an actor. So he yeah. was shall we say, tactile or physically able. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of, of how you pull off a character like Indy, swinging and whipping and jumping and punching. Mm-hmm. And if you ever have any questions about that, just turn on most about any sports movie that stars an actor, and you can see when they are that unfamiliar with how the body moves in a particular way, yeah. what does it show? So either A, Harrison Ford's a really good fighter, B, hyper, hyper athletic, or C, took enough time to really learn the craft before they shot it, which then speaks to dedication, all three rigging endorsements. And that's why the character is so memorable. Add to that, the quick talking Han Solo like banter that is not quite as edgy, but still as equally witty. I would say a bit more intellectual than we saw in Han Solo, Mm -hmm. but uh, a marvelous character. And I know I've talked a lot because, you talked a lot and stole my number one, so I talked a lot and stole your number one. So there we go. That's but anyway, fair. I'll give that, it to you for your number one. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, yeah. My, my number one, uh, uh, doc, Dr. John Kimball. What? No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, it has to be. Indiana. Also a great movie, though. Oh, The Fugitive is amazing, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in a bit of a Harrison Ford kick right now, and yeah, the guy's filmography is just amazing. And it, Matt, we didn't even talk about like Witness or you know any oh, yeah. of, any of the like the Jack Ryan stuff. Yeah, the guy, he, his little appearance in Apocalypse Now, great, great, um, 
uh, filmography. But yeah, number one had to be Indiana Jones. And in uh, specifically, this rewatch that I've done with all four films and now Dial of Destiny, just really kind of see, you know, what's made Harrison Ford a movie star uh, for all these years. Not that Stallone and Schwarzenegger don't have, like, natural charisma. I think they're helped out a lot by one-liners and, like, just kind of, like, kind of how hyper the the characters are that they're playing. But when when Ford comes on screen there in Raiders, when he whips that gun out of that... um, that uh that guide's hand and he just comes on yeah. the, on the screen you're just like this guy he just has it and there's no teaching it i just did i just looked up real quickly you know he didn't even go to acting school he just kind of got into it you know like you said he was a carpenter uh but i think he just knows how he's supposed to be when he's in front of the camera and i think indiana jones and james bond share a lot of similarities in terms of how their world is built the structure of the films whether that's a cold open you know the the female love interest, the the heavy, the villain, you know, this kind of this plot that takes place. He's really good at playing it. And uh, yeah, it, it was an easy number one for me. Uh, this rewatch of these films definitely solidified it, uh, particularly the strength of those, those first three. Yeah. Uh, well said. And um, I think that that's obviously probably, Maybe your number one character ever. Um, maybe do I dare say that might be your number one film character of all time? Pretty oh, close, if not. I mean, he's in the top five for sure. I mean, you know, Bond's yeah. number one. You know, I got Godzilla floating around in there. Batman, I guess, as a fictional character, is definitely up up top. But yeah, sure. Indy, Indy's got to be right there as well. So then we'll get to the one of mine that you took it to, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into it too much because everybody wants the warm-up act to get off stage and bring out the headliners, and that's Mr. Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Uh, if there's any reason as to why, I go back and simply listen to Rocky Five, I believe it is, where I'm on the verge of tears talking about a boxing movie for everything that character meant to me. It was Rocky, Bal- it was Rocky Balboa. Rocky Five Balboa. had us at tears because of how awful it was. <laughs> <laughs> that it was. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, so Balboa. Um, yeah, that's number one for me. Not by a lot. Yeah. But uh, fantastic list. I think, you know, it was surprising to see, you know, Schwarzenegger kind of not make. I mean, I think his films are definitely very, you know, how much I love Total Recall and Predator and The Running Man. So uh, I don't you know, I think one of the things that he suffers from in this is franchise ability. And there's no way I'm touching Conan. I'm just not doing it. Yeah. And for as much as I like Total Recall in the moment and as much as I like The Running Man in the moment and. Oh, I think those concepts are interesting. They're like, they're really well thought out and like interesting, you know, scenarios to like make a film around, but like the characters themselves are just kind of like, yeah, okay. Like it's hard to stack up like Douglas Quaid against in the legendary Indiana Jones. It's, it's impossible as much as I love one that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. As much as I love total recall. The one that I kind of kicked the tires on is actually Arnold playing Arnold in pumping iron. Now, Everybody's like, oh, yeah. come on, Matt, give me a break. But that the behind-the-scenes stories yeah. that break down what that film is, most of the stuff he says in that film is not true. Like, mm-hmm. he's bullshitting most of the time. Yeah. And he's bullshitting most of the time on the spot. Like, there's this really kind of crazy part in there where he's sitting on this couch, and he's talking about getting ready for this contest, and his mother said that your father had passed away, and he said it couldn't be bothered. 
I had a show to, to win. He was actually gone. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I could do. Mm-hmm. And it caused a lot of turmoil between me and my mother because how does the son tell his mother that there's no love for the father to come? Like this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then you get to it. And in fact, his father never passed away pre two days pre-show in the history of his bodybuilding career. And he made it up. Yeah. So there's, a, and there's another, you've seen that movie, right? So oh, there's yeah. another point where he's talking to some reporter and he's make, he's telling this reporter about this advice that he gave another contestant where he's in correspondence with all the top athletes in Europe. And there's this new posing technique where mm-hmm. as your arms go up, your voice goes up uh, ah, oh, and your arms go down, you scream loudly. Yeah. And like I took him in the gym and heavy oil and we oiled him up. And he tells this whole story about how this amateur poser, <laughs> I don't mean P-O-S-E-U-R, I mean like body bodybuilding poser, yeah. um, was going through this technique of how to yell while he's on stage, depending where his arms were and the, the human plane of, of top and bottom and how the trajectory of scream would match that. Yeah. Also not true. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's almost like he's playing a character, even though it's just like, it's, it's himself, yeah. right? It's an exaggerated, this crazy exaggerated like version of himself. And, and up until about like 90, 90 minutes ago, I had that ahead of him as the Terminator. No, and no joke nice. really did. Nice. But, um, Nice. That's that'd be a bit of a, and that's not to say that I don't like the Terminator. I, of course, I like the Terminator. Yeah. It's just that's such a crazy story that he tells them that it's hard not to kind of get there. Yeah, everyone should check that out. It's a very, very interesting documentary. I would love to do a documentary one day, Jesse. That that film, when we were teens. Oh, that, that and like Hoop Dream. Yeah. And like Hoop Dream. Yeah. Like a sports documentary that would be so good. Yeah, when we were kings is excellent. You know, the fun thing about pumping iron, too, I don't know how we're talking about pumping iron on uh, Indiana Jones podcast. <laughs> they really do find a titular villain in that, and it's none other than Luperigno. Yeah, natural rival. And um, that whole thing is, is pretty interesting, too, how and what they say about him and uh, the way they kind of paint him as the, the dark prince. And, I don't know. It's, it's uh, an interesting watch, nonetheless. People should check it out. Awesome. Awesome. Well... We got a ton to dive into, a ton to get into the nitty-gritty with. Uh, It's what you're here for. Let's get into our review breakdown of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. You missed the desert. I missed the sea. And I miss waking up every morning. Wondering what wonderful adventure the new day will bring to us. Those days have come and gone. Perhaps. Perhaps not. I don't believe in magic. But a few times in my life, I've seen things. Things I can't explain. I've come to believe it's not so much what you believe. It's how hard you believe it. Alrighty, so before we get into present day Indiana Jones, we gotta take it back a bit to 1944 with this cold open prologue. You know, we we talked a little bit last week about how like the, the cold open of these films, you know. The, the original trilogy, it was kind of like very loose, like most for the most part unrelated to, you know, 
the MacGuffin, if you will, of the the rest of the film. But, you know, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I guess, bucked that trend. And, you know, here we are again with something very intricately related to the events of the film. But it's 1944. This is during the Allied liberation of Europe in World War II. And I guess Indiana Jones uh, is... I couldn't understand if he was being a spy or if he's just kind of like on, uh, you know, a, assignment here to uh, recover these artifacts with uh man. If you ever need like, like this like token German looking guy, you get Toby Jones, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they're here. We're doing an obvious, you know, prologue. We're using, you know, CGI technology to de-age Harrison. Um, so first question, Matt, right out of the gate. How did that work for you? I thought it looked really good. It's funny. We talked about this off mic, but without really remembering much about the film, we had watched Tron legacy about a week before we saw this film. And oh, yeah. so you get the, the age of Jeff Bridges in that. And that's it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty frightening. <laughs> yeah. The little video game. You like kind of bad video game. I guess, man, you know, what's weird about that. You know, what's weird about ahead, that is in, in 2010, when that film came out, uh, if you can believe that film's 13 years old, I, yeah, actually thought, I actually thought it looked pretty good back then. I was like, hey, that's not bad. A young Jeff Bridges? Yeah, awesome. But in retrospect, it's like, oh, man, that thing lacks any type of volume on his face. Yeah, we've come a long way with the, with everything from deep fakes, haven't we? Yeah, so, yeah it keeps uh, getting better, yeah. Who knows in five years uh, what will be. But today we're with this, and I think it looks pretty good. I think they found a reasonably aged-looking indie. Yeah. I thought they brought him out. I thought in a lot of times my issue with that CGI stuff is it doesn't have volume. Mm-hmm. This certainly still maintained its volume. Um, there was one moment, however, in that bit where he is uh, like decloaked, if you will, like the mask is taken off and he goes to lighted to dark. Mm-hmm. And I thought that looked a little bit rough, but I'm nitpicking here yeah. to the question. I, I think they've done a tremendous job and uh, it didn't take me out of what was happening in that action bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the action bit did that on its own for me, um, but it wasn't by the look of, of how Indy came across. I thought they did a pretty good job. What do you think of that? I think it mostly works for me. Uh, I think there was a reason why this film takes place at night in like a lot of darkness and shadows, which kind of made some things kind of hard to see. And it's, you know, that they're trying to hide, you know, kind of how synthetic this is really supposed to look. Um, I don't know if they're going the length to de-age the face. I don't know why they didn't try or if we don't have the technology to de-age the voice because it it just sounded like old Harrison with this young face. And that was a little odd to me. And then there was one, there was one instance of him running on the roof of the train. And I was like, well, that's just a cartoon character over there. And that's has nothing to do with this face. There's more a, a, a poke at the effects. But uh, for the most part, it worked for me, and it, it kind of frustrated me a little bit, and it kind of, to explicate my point on why I think this is an untapped franchise of adventures, like I said, we could be on Indie Film 13 by now. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a cool snapshot into a time we didn't get to see, like post-Last Crusade, but before Crystal Skull, this crazy adventure that him and Toby Jones are going to get into to recover this. Oh, first, it's, you know, the... What I always knew is the Spear of Destiny. Um, I guess it's also called the Lance of Longinus, which was the yep. spear that pierced the side of Jesus Christ while he hung on the cross. Um, yeah. 
And I think they maybe made a comic book of that particular artifact uh, with Indiana Jones years ago. Like maybe Dark Horse did that. But I always kind of thought that would have been an interesting artifact for him to, and it kind of would bring it back to its Christian roots, right? Yeah. Something that I think works in the films one and three, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on board with this, with this intro. Uh, yeah. He's there in the kind of the Nazi garb. He has to kind of play, uh, uh, not stool pigeon, but like, you know, he kind of has to go along with it when he's the driver. Uh, and John Williams credit to him. He, uh, he knows how to, uh, bring back the the feeling of of the past he uh uses some uh uh music motifs uh that he used in in last crusade for the for the nazi theme so yeah i think that i think that all worked pretty well i think this might be a good time to address something that is a huge challenge when it comes to indiana jones okay. and so we can talk about the citizen kane like effect of the first movie as what anybody that's a reasonable human being would have in the top five of greatest action films of all time. I don't, I don't know maybe how you even get it out of the number one slot, but that's not the discussion for today. Mm -hmm. That movie is such a smash success. Everything else is going to be citizen Kane, like a la Orson Welles sure. going forward. Yeah. And two mm -hmm. Indy's credit. I think there are two other versions that, uh, Orson Welles probably, never quite tapped. Uh, you know, obviously we talk about the Magnificent Ambersons and how bad that is. And we talk about the third man and, and there's a lot, a lot the stranger. There's a lot of misses in there for Orson Welles. So the point I'm making is not to get into Orson Welles, but sometimes when the bar is set so high initially in Night Shyamalan mm -hmm. and his ending in the sixth sense, it becomes really difficult to match anything that's close to that. Okay. So let's just, so as that is an establishing fact, the other thing too, that's really challenging is, we talked about this off mic, so let's do it again. Mm -hmm. Indy's age in the film yeah. versus Indy's age in real life. So let's go back to Raiders for just a minute, okay. which is 1936. I asked you this. I'll ask you again now. Off yeah. mic, I'll ask you here on the show. How old is Indy for you in Raiders of the Lost Ark? 33? 34? Can like, we just... Yeah. What, let's do this. Let's make it 36 so we have a nice round working number. Okay. 1936 and he's 36. So that means Indy was born in 1900. Just for posterity, that Look, makes the math on this really easy. I'm going to get my calculator out. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully this will keep, it's not a math podcast, so hopefully this will help that. Okay. Okay, so he's 36 in that film, give or take 36. And Harrison Ford as a man is how old? 38, 39, 40? Yeah, yeah, I don't think he's, he's too much older than that, yeah. Okay, so well, let's just, for, again, for math, let's tack on five and say that when he shot Raiders, he's 41. Okay, let's just, and I could be wrong, but let's just tack it on. What that does is it limits how believable, and I'm going to make an argument for, and I'm going to walk this back and make an argument um, against and sort of see where maybe the challenges in this franchise, I think, have partially laid. If Indy's 36 in 1936, it becomes very difficult to buy that he's capable of doing the physical piece of Indy that we like past 1960. Yeah. Which then immediately rules out all of the 
contemporary in the last 60 years, 70 years events that have happened, which, okay, Indy doesn't need to do that because he is the tomb raider of ancient cultures. Yeah. So what ancient culture is he raiding in 1975? Who cares? He just has to go and find some Mayan thing and use that from 1520 or whenever the hell he wants to go back to set-wise, no, but um, principled item that he's searching for. Okay, so that's workable enough. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be a contemporary film because we don't care about contemporary artifacts. That's why they're contemporary. They're not artifacts yet. They're just still in play. Yeah. The problem, the secondary problem lies in what we're talking here, and that's the de-aging of Harrison Ford. Although we might be able to tell stories from a younger time period, Harrison Ford is not a younger man. Yeah. 77, we talk, 78 it, when they filmed right? this thing, yeah. Getting on there. And and to, for his credit, to his credit, he pulled, that is not that is not a problem in this film for me. I totally believe mm-hmm. his physical ability in this movie. And where where he isn't able to, we have other things that kind of take the, take I, the reins there. Buy, and then I, that'll I, work too. I buy it for the most part. Uh, but man, that old man is getting killed in that rickshaw chase through the city, man. He, he's leaping oh, from yeah. rickshaw to rickshaw and that thing's going downstairs and landing hard. I was like, dude, every bone in that guy's body is busted. <laughs> yeah. All the years so the cha- of yeah. abuse, right? Yeah. So the challenge is, how do you keep up with a contemporary audience with an contempor- with a contemporary actor who is no longer as capable as he once was raiding ancient cities that have long ago aged and essentially stopped aging? So there's lots of challenges with making me believe that there's a story from 1968 that involves a 68-yeared indie going back to an ancient civilization when I exist in 2023. All of those things are challenging, and it goes to what you said earlier, so I'm going to give you credit for this off mic, and that there were six to seven indie movies that we didn't get that we should have gotten in 1983, through 1990 when he was still capable. Yeah. And there's countless civilizations. Yeah. Yeah, 89 was Last Crusade, so like 89 through like 99, just say. And Raiders came out in 81, 82? 81, yeah. The problem is they didn't make movies as fast as they did back then now. Like they can turn a movie around in nine months unless you were studio hack, you know, and those like the MGM movie of the month kind of flavor that they shot in 15 days kind of thing. And this is not that sort of a shoot, so that's not really on the table anyway. Yeah. But... The production, the struggle with story, frankly, George fucking Lucas, um, the work that all of the people that mattered, Spielberg and Ford, were doing and other things that didn't allow for the ability, robbed us, I I think, of some stories that might have been not as challenging to give to the audience in a meaningful way as the ones that we got. And that's not to knock Temple of Doom. That's not to knock the last crusade, but is to knock kingdom of the crystal skull. But part of that is because it just, uh, among other things, like it wasn't, wasn't believable on a lot of different levels. So, Mm -hmm. okay. That's a a 15 minute theory or breakdown from me on one of the challenges of Indiana Jones. Is there anything you'd like to add in that same, yeah. And any kind of 
Well, you talked guess, about that. I guess something in my research, you know, for last week and then this week that I guess seems to hamper a lot of the creative decision making of making these films is the MacGuffin of it all. Like, what is he yeah. going after? And you know, we played all those sound bites last week on fucking aliens and the greys and the Palladians that George Lucas wanted to bring in and just much to the chagrin of Spielberg, who eventually just gave in and was like, sure, well, let's do it. Um, mm-hmm. I think it, it becomes a real issue on like, well, what's he going to go and how interesting it is, is it? And you know what? I don't think that matters at the end of the day because he was number one on my list for a reason. And that's because the character's interesting. I'm willing to watch that character go into any situation. Um, as long as you don't, uh, Economize the monkey too much uh, with your ideas, mm. right? <laughs> you like you, you like that? I love it. Yes, I do. Uh, I love that. And uh, I think there's a couple things that have come out in between Last Crusade and uh, this film and Crystal Skull that have, you know, I think done adventuring a little bit better. One's the Uncharted uh, video game series I think is excellent. Uh, yeah. The film itself was lukewarm to say the least. Uh, okay. But... Uh, that Tomb Raider, one. for that matter, too. Same story with Tomb Raider and, and, the, and yeah. the, Un- the, yeah. the movie that kind of went with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Tomb Raider video game franchise, the Uncharted. Like, I think people have a knack for, like, wanting to, like, go on, like, ancient mysteries and solve puddle uh, puzzles and, and riddles and find artifacts. There's an interest there. But the film that I think did Indiana Jones better than either of these sequels was in 1999, and it was the, the first Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting in the theater watching that, and I was like, you know what? This guy's kind of like Indiana Jones. I was like, he's got guns on his, like, bandolier. Uh, they're yeah. going after, you know, some sort of ancient artifact. It just so happens to also be a monster movie, which signed me up. Uh, yeah. That film checked all the boxes of everything I wanted in an Indiana Jones film, and it just wasn't part of that franchise. So right. I think, you know these last two films have kind of taken the wrong lessons on kind of what to do with what made the past so successful. And of course you don't need to regurgitate everything that came before, but Matt, when we get into this plot of this film, like this thing gets nuts, this thing, I I will have to have a debate later on whether, you know, we're believing aliens or what happens at the last 20 minutes of this movie. Mm -hmm, Uh, But yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get into some wild stuff here, but, to start out, I guess the shame of the shame of it all, though, is let me one more thing and I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. The shame of all this is there was an appetite. If you just take okay, let's take Mummy aside because that's a mm-hmm. property unto film, yeah, which was successful and I think had um, a, a prequel, The Serpent King, and at least one one sequel. So they got at least three out of that, if not more. Well, they did two sequels: The Mummy Returns and The Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. And then, yeah, they did The Scorpion King with uh, Dwayne Johnson. Oh, yeah. And then they made about five of those movies, one with him. And, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, you just rattled off like ten films that they mm-hmm. got from that. Mm-hmm. They got, various levels of success. They, they have a ride at Universal Studios. <laughs> they do, yeah. and it, yeah, exactly, and a good one too. A little yeah. short, but a good one. Mm-hmm. Look, man. There was an appetite there for that. Yeah. Tomb Raider and Uncharted proved that, and Tomb Raider and Uncharted are 10-plus years into their runs, if not longer. Oh, yeah. There has been a consistent appetite to what laid out the best opening to any action movie ever. That's yeah. the first 15 minutes of Raiders. Yeah. Everybody, that's the citizen, that's the rosebud of this. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody that has seen that film and loves it continues to hunger for yeah. and that they cannot seem 
to chase down. They've gotten close in some moments, but that Jesse, mm-hmm. that was the movie. That was, that was the hook. That was where yeah. Indy built his chops in the first 15 minutes. One we're replacing sandbags with golden idols. Mm-hmm. We have holes in the wall to shoot poison darts. You don't step on the grout in between these weird tiles on the floor. Here comes this big rolling rock. Oh my God, don't forget my hat. Like all of that shit worked. And that never has gone away. Here's the thing though. Yeah. It has to be done creatively. It mm-hmm. can't be the same. I'm in another cave. I'm in another cave writing another template. Like you have to find a way to do it. You take mm-hmm. the well of souls. Yeah. Equally done well. Like it, it, it's just, that's the success in genius of this film mm-hmm. and franchise and what everybody's wanted. And like, as I contend earlier, Indy running through a corridor being chased by a, by a, a big rock mm-hmm. could have happened countless times in that era of Indy. Yeah. It can't happen anymore with aged Ford. Cause I mean, like he can still run a little bit, but he just, he, no one's buying a 77 year old man running from a rock anymore. Yeah. Yeah. The threat has to be a little different. So timing, timing is really, uh, dare I say frustrating. Yeah. With, with this series to some regard, but anyway, we move on. Keep going. Uh, what was I going to say? But the threat, the, the threat is different, but it's also the same because we have, we got the Nazis again in the fold. Uh, sure do. And dude, yeah. You, you ever need kind of like a token, like Colonel Nazi type, I guess you're, you're casting Thomas Critchman who also played Baron von Strucker in age of Ultron. Yep. Uh, I was like, I know that guy from somewhere. Uh, but to this film's credit, you know, we're, we're going over, you know, interesting ground again. Uh, I think they cast a really good guy to play the the villain in this film, and I think he's pretty decent in it as well. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen as Jürgen Voller. Uh, yep. We'll have to kind of talk about, you know, his plot uh, a little bit later. I thought it was, you know, kind of interesting, you know, what his end goal mm-hmm. is. But yeah. you know, I don't think we're going to debate whether this guy can play, you know, uh, a villain or not. I mean, check no, out, check no. out Le Chiffre in Casino Royale or Hannibal mm-hmm. or Casillas in Dr. Strange. Uh, yeah. this guy just like has this, this look down. Uh, yeah. so, you know, we get into this real interesting chase for this spear and we find out it's fake on this Nazi train. Uh, but Voller's like, okay, it's fake. We can't go to the Fuhrer and empty handed. We have one half of a dial that could change the fabric of, of time. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. not really told yet, you know, what it will do. And we kind of pick up little pieces along the way, but that's the play here. This dial becomes very, very important. Even when Indy sees it, he's like, oh no, like we gotta, we gotta take that with us. Uh, yeah. and then they get into a pretty wild fight on the top of this train. Matt, I, I know we, 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 we don't want to, we got to suspend our disbelief a little bit, you know, to make these films move. But how in the almighty hell did Mads Mikkelsen survive getting hit by this pipe on this train, man? Yeah, and have no physical deformities other than like a little scar on his face. Well, they had a they had a refrigerator that that he hit himself. In. <laughs> you know, for about half of this film's runtime, I I was convinced I was like, I was like, there's no way he survived that. You know what? He's probably a robot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! And you know what? Well, you know, I don't put anything past him. You know what? Yeah, we did aliens last time. You know what? You, they could have a human robot in this movie. Why not? Sure, why not? But 
the 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 allies blow the train up they have to bail before but like him and kind of and toby jones kind of you know agree like okay we'll go we're gonna uh see where this you know dial takes us and we snap uh, forward uh flash forward to 1969 with i think a pretty interesting opening for our indiana jones so let's remember last time where we left him in 1957 Got married mm-hmm. to Marion Ravenwood back in, uh, you know, the the, the Northeast, uh, teaching at Marshall College. I guess he was going to be a father figure to Mutt going forward. And, man, we catch up with this old man uh, asleep on his armchair, in his boxers, yelling at his hippie neighbors to turn Magical Mystery Tour down. Uh, mm-hmm. He just is a very interesting Indiana Jones. We've caught him at a very interesting time in his life haven't we uh not even down it's like a a downtime yeah like uh emotionally and physically right i mean well add to that we see what his professional life looks like and the girl that used to write love you on her eyelid that she batted yeah them at him has now turned into a collection of hate assberry rejects that want no part of anything having to do with what might remotely look like the establishment. And they couldn't be more disengaged yeah. if they were on their phones on Instagram. Yeah. He, so, um, um, he's yeah, not even going to have to feel sort of bad for the guy. He's not even teaching at Marshall college anymore. He's teaching at Hunter college. Uh, so he either got fired from there or just took another job to get away from, we'll find out a little bit about Marion and, and mud a little bit later, but it's almost like he had to establish new roots somewhere else to start this new sad old man life. And hey, if you're almost, gonna, if, he might almost even be an adjunct professor at this point, like not even full time, just someone to round out the <laughs> the faculty yeah, and, and he, pick up this archaeology two twenty on Thursday afternoon. Yeah, I don't even know if he's tenured anymore. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it's kind of sad. And then when they have this even sadder little retirement party for him, and they give him this clock that I swear, like you know, everyone and their grandmother had this clock. Uh, on their on their mantelpiece, he just throws it in the trash. Right, it's just another nothing memento of this life that he's just kind of he's just kind of treading water. It seems like for I I felt really bad for the guy. I was like, you know, I I, I hate to see old people sad. Uh, and I'm gonna do, call I'm a, it. and I'm gonna call Indiana Jones old in this film because he's 77, 78 in the film, or Harrison was when he filmed it. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for the guy. I was like, wow, he's kind of been dealt kind of a bad hand later in life here. The days of adventuring have certainly caught up to him. I think they missed a great opportunity with the clock as well. Hmm. Isn't the clock just in its natural state as the one that tells time a dial of destiny, even if it's not given that title? Sure, yeah. Every clock is. Mm -hmm. It is a dial that is counting down whatever this day. I mean, it is like, just think about it. And I thought that taking it and pitching it in the trash, although I understand why could have been better served if it wasn't a clock that they gave him, mm-hmm. but a really nice stopwatch yeah. or something. Cause I mean, I think about a portable stopwatch that he would carry Jesse mm-hmm. that has gears in it that could be broken open and used to repair the dial of destiny later on in the film. When one of the, like there's, any number of things that they could have done other than just mounted mantle, wooden TikTok clock. Like that's just, 
the way I okay, and the, one more the way I kind of took with the, the the seven writers that were on this, like <laughs> seven people, none of them sure. thought about that. Uh, David Kep at his best again, I guess. Sure, yeah, I, go ahead. Yeah, the Cap, um, yeah, Cap and the Cap Boys. Uh, <laughs> I kind of took it as you know, Indy's got this pathetic retirement gift in his hand. I almost kind of took it of like he like. Bitches, I've held the holy grail in my hand. What the hell is this, mm-hmm. right? And then kind of just Fair like, too. kind of just demeaning, you know, you know, how unimportant that is as a memento and an artifact compared to, you know, what he's done before. The The past is certainly grander uh, in Indiana Jones's eyes. Yeah. But we are introduced to a new character here that did us uh, sit in on his lecture. This is Helena Shaw. Uh, and then she kind of catches up with him at the bar he doesn't really recognize her, but then we come to find out through this conversation that this is his goddaughter. This is Toby Jones's daughter. So apparently, those guys are really close to you know to be a godparent to you know their child, but mm-hmm. I guess slightly absentee at the same time. I mean, he hasn't seen her in 20, 30 years. It seems like, uh, and of course, she you know she's a burgeoning uh, type of archaeologist uh, herself. Uh, we are going to find out that, uh, you know, her proclivities are to fencing these items, right? She's she's uh-huh. she's fortune and glory, right? Yep. Yeah, she hasn't quite gone through the gauntlet yet to kind of get a better appreciation for this stuff. But, I mean, it comes in the form of a pitch. It's like, hey, you know, you and my dad talked about this endlessly. He has a bunch of notes on this stuff. There's a really great line, or and I think it's the moment that, you know, uh, has him change his mind because he's like, you know what, whatever, do what you want. I'm not going to get involved in that. Uh, and she doesn't she say something to him like, what, what, would, what would you do if you ever saw your dad obsess over something like this endlessly? Wouldn't you want to dig into that, into the truth a little bit more? And, you know, from Indy's perspective, I mean, that's what his dad did, right? His dad spent yeah. 20 years conducting grail research were to the part to the point where he wasn't even like a father to him. Right. So right. it's an adventure he's gone on for those purposes. And I think she spins it in a way where he's like, Oh, you got a good point there. Right. So we need somebody that can be introduced that gives him a reason to take on this quest. So she essentially is the one that's going to push him over the line. The inciting incident is basically laid at its feet by mm-hmm. uh, this, this, I guess responsibility that he has to her so that she shows up kind of with this ax to grind with him over this absenteeism. Okay. I guess I buy, and maybe I don't care too much because we just got to get them together so we can get off and get on this, this uh, red line of destiny towards excitement. (laughs) But already I'm bugged by her, Jesse. And this is a huge challenge in the indie films. He is so naturally likable. Harrison Ford's just naturally likable on and off screen loaded with charisma, gregarious, handsome, charming, witty, Mm -hmm. all those things that most of the time, any woman that's been put on screen with him just sort of ends up being kind of a nuisance. Karen Allen's a bit of an exception in the first one, because I think she's got the chops Mm -hmm. to sort of pull this off. Um, Out of this Helena, she was her Shaw. Is that it? Helena Shaw. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, Jesse, we're, we are at levels that I, I find unstomachable. She showed up on the screen and I wanted to leave. I thought she was terrible, stupid character. They didn't need her. Uh, let, if he's going to go out on his own, let him go out on his own. Yeah. Um, I, I found her to be a complete 
and utter waste of any moment on the screen in celluloid. I hated that character. Does, hated her. Does the film, you know, because I think that they, that they naturally tried to like make her like that, right? A little kind of hateable, a little mm-hmm. detestable, mm-hmm. just because they are going for that angle of like, well, she's in it for the money and the the yep. the thrill of it all. At any point through the, the run, did they ever kind of like turn that dial, turn that dial in quotes, right? Uh, yeah. A little bit on, on her for you. Did she, did she improve a little bit by the end of it? The final scene in the movie, I was trying to like, oh, at least she has one redeemable trait here. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag yet because we'll get there. Dude, that's a but big, even that's a big cat to let out of the bag, man. <laughs> yeah, that's not, I mean, we'll get there, right? Yeah. And then they they took something and made it even more annoying. And and with her, what's more annoying than the busybody girl that has to play the role of? all things physical because he can't quite do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Give her the all too precocious and all too knowing child thief along. Yeah. What are we doing? You're literally yeah. fucking stealing the film from him yeah. with these two numbskulls. And I know we differ on this, but you know, I hate that short round character. I yeah. hate him. Yeah. And here we, like, I, and I get, I get it. Cause well, it's a callback to a previous, I, I like, I seriously get it. I know what you're trying to do. Yeah. How about all seven of you writers sit down and say, can you maybe do something other than the all too knowing nine year old that's an expert thief? Cause we sort of played that out. Mm-hmm. I know let's not have a kid in this at all. Even though Steven Spielberg gags us with the children in every movie that he makes. Yeah. Let's just not put a kid in it. Cause it's not going to serve any singular purpose whatsoever none already two huge strikes for me huge we kind of did that last week too with uh with mutt williams i mean not a kid but like a younger type now matt i want to pitch you on something so i know you did get short short round in infancy you know like 10 11 years old however old he is in in that movie you know it's the kid factor right but yes i know where you're going yes now what if if they did short round instead of helena shaw yes yes Yes. Yeah. You took the words out of my mouth. You yeah. know how you fix that? Mm-hmm. If we're going, if we're going callbacks, then and and that's a really popular actor right now. Yeah. Right after what was that? Um, that what's the film? Um, everything everywhere yeah. all at once. Mm-hmm. Everything everywhere all at once. Right. Yeah. After that, that guy's on fire. Yeah. What more star power mm-hmm. to put him in this film? Yeah. And you how know the hell did they not manage that? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. And I think the story there would be interesting because, you know, think of Temple of Doom was 1935 uh, yep. and then Raiders is 36. And obviously he's short round less for the rest of his adventures. So he, he gets rid of this kid or abandons him or put, sets him up somewhere else. And we never we never speak of it ever again. But, you know, what if short round shows well, up and he's like, Indy, you left me, you abandoned yeah. me. And I had to yeah. kind of yeah. fend for myself. Like, I think that story writes itself. And then I think you have kind of a cool, interesting father son dynamic, especially since Indy has in story lost his son in this universe. Uh, oh man. I think that's a great idea. Right. Yeah. What do you, have you written a few scripts in your day? Do you understand how to structure something? Cause that sounded like professional <laughs> speaking right there. Jesse, Short Round shows up and said, after the Temple of Doom and Molaram, mm-hmm. all these terrible things have happened. Indy, where were you? Yeah. Where were you? Mm-hmm. And instead of this faux, sloppy, Helena Shaw, I'm the daughter of, of Toby Jones, and I would have been the guy that screwed you off in the 
screwed you over in, in Crystal Skull, but he's dead, Rick or whatever that guy's name is, who we didn't know were friends until we knew they were friends from the movie. Oh, like, yeah. stop doing that and go back to what we and have Short Round said, the only way I can right whatever wrongs I've made without you present is by attaining this dial of destiny. It serves a lot of purposes, blah, 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 blah. I've uncovered a map. I've, I looked mm-hmm. up to you. I'm a failed explorer. My, there's any number uh, of things we could do. Sounds, and the regret it sounds so from good. both of them. <laughs> yeah. Jesse, there was like my son's dead. Yeah. We're about to find out sooner that his son passed away, mm-hmm. mostly because Shia LaBeouf's career at that time had <laughs> sort of passed away too. Um, yeah. Oh my God, they both get to work through so many things other than this sloppy dog on it. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll help you because I was a terrible godfather. No one fucking cares about that. No one. Yeah, it's not it, even not even Michael Corleone cares about that. Yeah, it's it's too little, too late to get re- that invested in this relationship when this is like the first time we're hearing about it. Like, if it was something that had been built already, and then we get to kind of roll with it for a little bit, that that could have been really good. And then you could have, if if you want, you know, Disney always wants to do this shit. If you want to set up short round to be like the future adventurer, go do it. Right, you you have it there to. To, to do it if you want to. So, yeah, I guess I'm in agreement there. I think she, she does kind of change a little bit, you know, uh, for me toward, towards the end a bit, but not not to the point where we're kind of overall redeeming that character to be like, oh, I want to see more of, like, what's going on there. So, um, and then, yeah, Teddy. I don't know. With with the kid, and I can't even remember that kid's name. Teddy. Ted, it's Teddy. Teddy. I don't have anything against Teddy. Like, that character is fine enough, I guess. It just was such an obvious myth and I can under even understand why they wanted to put a female in there for marketing purposes, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, I, but she just ends up being such a distraction that it works against it. And I kept thinking to myself, God, I hope these two don't fall in love because that is going to be so gross oh, and was, so out of. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, a step too far. I, I think I'm walking out of the theater. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, you can't put it past these people though. Right. I mean, they're always trying to find some way to like, you know, you know, Kylo Ren and Ray locking lips. Right. You know, they're always shoving that shit down our throat. So I guess your fear wasn't that far. off. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I don't know how many more properties Disney's going to be allowed to collect and ruin, but, um, yeah, I guess that's a story for maybe later on or another day, but uh, sure, sure. we didn't do this franchise any favors with this installment. Let's just put it that way. As with with really simple decisions that they could have made. And think about this, Jesse. Mm-hmm. What is the difference if we remove Teddy and Helena mm-hmm. and just go with short round? What is the difference in story? There's not a bit of yeah. difference because she is not a love interest. Yeah. She's not sexy. You know who also isn't a love interest and sexy? Short round. Yeah. 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 The, the story could have been the same. Yep. Um, but maybe a little bit more uh, emotional at the end of the day. Yep. Uh, now, what do you think? Okay. So we're about to get to it here. So, you know, she pitches him, he, he acquiesces and is like, yeah, let me help you out. And then she kind of just steals the dial from him because his old mm-hmm. man hands are too slow. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, uh, Voller is in t- New York as well because he's been doing work. I guess in the side, he didn't go to Brazil like all the other Nazis did. <laughs> He's been helping NASA out design rockets. So yeah. they've kind of given him a cushy little suite here to see this uh, Apollo 11 parade. 
and he's got some some heavies with him. But once they catch wind that this dial's in motion, that we got all the pieces, we get kind of this interesting little action bit in the middle of this parade on horseback, motorcycle. Uh, I kind of like this. I, I thought that this was something going on in the movie at least, but I was okay. pretty okay with this this little action bit here. Um. Okay. I I just I feel like in at this point in the film the default lever is continually pulled and it's when we don't know what to do. Let's just have another chase. Yeah. Like, it just, it, it's not bad. It's interesting enough. It's just all of the chases that we've seen in Indy mm-hmm. pale in comparison to the, the caravan with the arc on it. Pull the Mercedes Benz emblem off the hood yeah. the first time, and it just all feels so sloppy and reheated. Mm-hmm. And it's it, in an action movie, you're going to have to have one or two chases, obviously. But there's like five in this one, man. It's just like, well, we don't know what to do. I know, chase, let's go. All right, it's the second one now because we had the one in the beginning on the top of the Nazi train. <laughs> what? Yeah. So now we're in this. Uh, that one okay. was, yeah, the, the opening was a bit long. It kind of felt like it went on for about 15 ish minutes. And so that one went on quite a bit. Uh, this one I thought was very palatable. And then we get that rickshaw chase coming up and that thing goes on for freaking forever. Uh, Do you and your heart of hearts think, I know you were worried about him getting hurt as he's jumping from a tuck, tuck <laughs> to another tuck, tuck. Yeah. The problem is, the idea that a tuk-tuk can keep up with the Mercedes at 65 miles an hour yeah. is ridiculous, despite what use of the city and shortcuts you may have, because those things don't go faster than 12 miles an hour. I so know, yeah. Maybe keeps Indy safe if he falls out, because, you know, it'd be like just falling down, essentially. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so I'm just going to say this. With this chase, I really found myself struggling to keep attention and caring okay. at this point. Okay. I just like, okay, another chase. Here we go. Yeah. All right. And we know that, yeah, never mind. Just, uh, yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. It's structured fine. It's very on point with indie chases, I suppose. I just, can we find some new creative thing? And I don't care if it's rickshaws chasing Mercedes or horses chasing Harleys which kind of is what we saw in Crystal Skull to a certain degree, a little bit with yeah. the motorcycle piece. Well, and I thought, and I thought and that, that scene was pretty good. Uh, if you go back and yeah, listen, you like it, that, it was, yeah. it was a highlight yeah. of last week's episode. Of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah, that had that Spielberg touch. I thought that worked pretty well. Um, but so at the end of this, you know, Helena's got the dial. She's going to go fence it somewhere. Um, uh, Indy's got all these people looking at, uh, after him now. And I think he's like wanted for, he's like on the news, right? They're like looking for this guy. He's like a fugitive now. Dude, talk to dude, call John Kimball, man, dude. He's got some competition. <laughs> right. And so he's where's like, Tommy Lee Jones when you need it. Yeah. Dude, where's Gerard? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> uh, good one, yeah. He's like, well, I, I gotta get out of here. I gotta go get that dial back. Uh, so he calls up an old friend. <laughs> did you like, what did you think of this? What did you think of John Reese Davies reemerging as Sala? Um, I liked that. That's appropriate enough. And we like that character to be used the way that they've used him, but it only gives more credence to the argument we had a few minutes ago. How do you call back 
almost everybody that's ever had any association, even Sean Connery from the grave, as we look at a picture and miss short round, I just, mm-hmm. it's, it, unless he just said, I'm going to make in that movie. You can pound that contract right up your culo. There's no chance I'm touching that. Maybe that's what happened. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that there was a really funny moment. So like, like Sala meets Indy on like the, the side where he punches out a guy for, uh, that recognizes Indy on the television. Right. And he's like, oh, Saul, it's good to see you. And these two old men, like, are just, like, running to the car. And I was like, oh, man, it's, like, grumpy old men. It's Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. I was like, like, these poor guys, they're so old. But, like, here we are. We're still trying to make it happen. And, like, I'm I'm willing to go with it. I'm willing to go with it. But, man, you could just, you could tell that, you know, age is really cotton up to these guys. Like, I'll be be lucky if I can move around like that at, at, at that age. So, yeah, I'll give him credit. You're right. Like to his credit, he's still doing it in some in some version. Yeah. But the nice thing about film, Jesse, mm-hmm. is it allows us not to have to face reality because we can escape. <laughs> so exactly. The reality is he's probably in better shape, or his knees are in better shape than mine will be. But it still looks like a seventy year old man yeah. with his seventy five year old buddy in tow, mm-hmm. motoring. I guess sort of down the avenue to the escape pit. I don't know. Yeah. It reminds I me guess. of like, there was, they, they did a lot of de-aging in uh, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, there was that, 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 that scene early on where um, Robert De Niro, like, you know, stomps out this guy on the side of the street. And, you know, he's supposed to be like early forties, early thirties when he's doing that. And it looks yeah. like 78 year old Robert De Niro stomping that guy. It just looked like an old man. So it, it's kind of hard yeah. to hide some of this stuff, even though we have all the advances of technologies to help us out. Um, yep. Yeah. We still, you know, still struggle with, with some aspects. Uh, so we go to Tangier. We get our, our interesting little red line of travel. We meet back up with Helena, who's auctioning this dial to all these nefarious foes. Uh, and then, like, Voller shows up, like, right at the same time. So it's like, you know, you stole that. That guy's a Nazi. <laughs> he's trying to, he's, like, calling him out. He's like, oh, you must be mistaking me for someone else. I'm wondering the same thing, yeah. how this guy's still alive. <laughs> but, yeah, this kind of jump starts us into this chase scene that I've been referring to as this. Into a what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Into this this uh, auto rickshaw uh, tuk tuk uh, chase scene, and man, it's wild. It's just like these things are slamming into everything, you know, bouncing off. They're they're jumping from one of these things to the next. They're outrunning Mercedes Benz. They're people are getting shot at. Helena's jumping into the back of a car. The 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 the, the, the rickshaws leaping over like a, a like a staircase chasm. It's just. Uh, it's wild. <laughs> it's wild to say the least. And, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. I think John Williams scores it really well. It kind of feels like kind of like a classic indie chase scene, but I think I'm with you on this one. This one goes on for like four minutes too long. Well, and I mean, we're maybe 50 minutes in five, zero minutes into the movie. And now we're in our third chase and there's been yet to be one instance of a raid of a castle, a tomb, uh cave. When did this become, just a chase movie. This is the point. I just, I literally looked at my watch and said, I can't wait for this to be over. I'm so done with this film. I just, I cannot, this is such bullshit. This is on par. Now nah, this, that's a stretch. This is not as bad as rapiers on military Humvees through the jungle as your balls get pummeled by the foliage. Nothing could be that bad. Um, but we are, 
we are economizing the monkeys so badly by pretending that this six horsepower tuk-tuk can keep up with the height of German engineering Mercedes of the day. Mm -hmm. Oh God. I just, Jesse, I just stopped caring. Mm -hmm. I just stopped caring. That's that. And that's such a bad thing to do. You just, I just, I was just done. I just was done. You know, it's the exact opposite of, you know, like when I talked about how Raiders just kind of grabs you by the throat and refuses to let go. I mean, Every scene in that film has a purpose and no scene in that movie overstays its welcome. Like think, right. think of that, the, the fight with the, the Nazi heavy uh, that gets chewed mm-hmm. up in the propeller. I mean, I think that's about yeah. four minutes. It's about right yep. for a scene like that. Right. And it, yeah. it gets us to the next moment. Well, you stop their mode of transportation. Now they have to switch it up. So now we're going into the next, next little bit here. And then that's about mm-hmm. four and a half, five minutes there. That convoy chase that I hold on such a high pedestal yeah. here. We're doing auctions for about 10 minutes. Then we're rickshaw chasing for another 10 minutes. Then he's fixing the radiator on the back of that rickshaw for five minutes. <laughs> it's just uh, you're going to have to help me, uh, with the plot here a little bit, Matt. Uh, oh boy. Okay. I'll keep... <laughs> All right. So they have, they have the dial. Um, they being Indy, 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 Helena and Teddy. Now this new trio <laughs> that we have, yeah, it, a trio very similar to uh temple of doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, they decide to go to Greece cause they're going to go use one of Indy's contacts. Who's played by, uh, Antonio Banderas, uh, to go find this sunken ship to retrieve the Graphicos, which is a tablet that has directions to the dial's other half. Right. How do they, how do they put that together? Do you remember? Uh, I think he has prior knowledge to that. If not again, and I'm I'm not going to be of a tremendous amount of story plot help because when I told you I was done, I really was done. Sure. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, uh, either has prior knowledge to it or in the pieces of artifacts that Helena has from her father, there's some recollection of that, but I would, I don't know. I I would assume story wise (laughs) to make sense. uh, He knows that there's a piece of that or a piece of that important graphicos or Mm -hmm. graphicos there which then pauses, like gives question to why didn't he just do that 10 years ago? Just go find it on his own. Yeah. It's yeah. I don't know if we're given good enough reason as to why he just kind of put this uh, into the archives and just stopped caring about it other than it was too hurtful yeah. or, you know, cause we do find out, you know, when we're on the ship here with Antonio Banderas, uh, we do find out that him and Marion have been separated for a number of years and that mutt Shia LaBeouf, went off to Vietnam and was killed. And I think maybe mm-hmm. my favorite moment of the movie, uh, cause Harrison's really good in this scene. Uh, yeah. you know, it ended with a fight, right? It was like, well, if you go over there, you're going to get killed. And that's exactly what happened. So he feels tremendously guilty of that final conversation. And I, I guess I kind of like that. I guess that he did try to have a, you know, a good father son relationship with Mutt Williams in the years after kingdom of the crystal skull where his passing did leave kind of a gaping void in his, in his life. Um, yeah. I think Harrison handles that really They, they, they had that conversation on the ship here while they're they're um, before they go diving. But yeah, I, th- I thought that worked for me. Yeah. There's at least a reason as to why he was so upset and single again. And certainly him and Marion have been on again, off again, as much as any couple 
that we can think of in, in modern cinema. So them being off again is rather on par with the indie stories, mm-hmm. but being off again because his son passed away. And this plays into something that I thought about in the crystal skull a little bit. Okay. Did his son have to go to Vietnam because he didn't go to school? <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good takeaway. Which they didn't touch on that because that was rather kind of a comedic sticking point, but a sticking point nonetheless in crystal skull. Mm-hmm. It, and he's tells mutt or mud, whatever the hell his name is. Doesn't matter what other people say you should do. If you love what you do, just blah, 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 go do it. And school can go to hell. Mm-hmm. Well, man, <laughs> that could have been really loaded. And it was anyway, yeah. obviously he's torn up about this. He's lost his wife. He's lost his son. It explains why he sits there in a chair in this bad job that he's just waiting to die. Uh, but there was an opportunity, I think, that was a little bit missed in that point too. Sure. No, I think that I think that's fair. I think it was just like it was a an emotional moment that I was like, oh, this this is playing pretty well for me. Uh, just because so you brought it, it up now, I want to ask you, Chester, do you like this rather pitiful version of indie that we're getting? Because you said you kind of felt bad for him as an old man. Yeah. with nothing except an armchair and a, a lonely seat by the window and the, the TV. Mm-hmm. And now we've got um, another version of Indy that is, sorry if anybody can hear that, it's a truck driving by down there, um, which I'm sure everybody can hear that. Sorry, I'm outside. You're good. Now we have broken family man Indy. Yeah. Do you like do you like pitiful Indy, Jesse? I, 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 I think I do just because I, I like that we've never seen this side of him before. I know we've seen tough archaeologists get dragged under cars and have to drink the Kali blood and go through a bunch of crazy things. And to James Mangold's credit, I mean, I think I thought he did a really good job of this in, in Logan with uh, an aged uh, Hugh Jackman uh, yeah. and really just kind of playing into those aspects of, okay, we've seen this character so many times. What does he look like like when he's close to the end? And I think they're tapping into some of that with Indy that, that, that's really working for me. And I think it's mostly working because I think the, the commitment from Harrison is there. I think he's, he's doing a real good job with these, these scenes. Um, but we do get to this wreck. Uh, and this was a scene that I didn't really particularly love. Uh, which was they're gonna scuba down to the ship and then get uh, the graphicos, uh, and then they're attacked by a bunch of eels. Which you know every indie film has to kind of have like, oh, what's the gross the, the thing that's gonna attack them? And it's ants and rats and snakes and bugs and stuff like that. So I guess we're doing eels this time. Uh, yeah. My only problem with it is I couldn't tell who was who when they were down there. Like, I didn't know which one was yeah. Indy. I couldn't tell where uh, Helena was or uh, Reynaldo, which was Antonio Banderas. I was like, it's so dark down here. I can't tell the face masks. I, I They did have different colors, but I didn't have time to write, jot it down and remember who was who. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of thought this was kind of a, a poor scene here that could have just been either fast-forwarded or just, like, someone goes down, we have a, an interesting scene on the boat, and then they bring they come back up with it or something. Um, well, I mean, it's even more disappointing is this is the first excavation or exploration of ancient area that we've seen in the film. I guess they chose to do it underwater, so fine, mm-hmm. give them credit for at least trying. Yeah. But did you hear what you just said? You've been more entertained with 
a couple of the chases and automobiles than you are what's the bread and butter to the franchise, and that's the rating of quote unquote unsaid or said tomb. Yeah, uh, you just it, it was murky, it was sloppy. You're right, you couldn't tell who was who. Water's already tough to shoot in because I think the nature of water limits what you can see. Not Michael Bad level the Transformers. What the hell did I just see? But the bubbles are a challenge, mm-hmm. especially when you're watching it the first time. Yeah. And here we go. Like, let's break something down to find this artifact. And you're ready to just get the hell out of the water with the Graphicos. And that's, that's, that's a bad admission, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was just another one, a scene that I just, I didn't need just cause it was just, it was so difficult to kind of comprehend what, what was happening. Yeah. I, I don't like that with, you know, what are supposed to be like fun, exciting bits. Um, yeah, it's not Michael Bay levels of just like, oh my God, like graphically, I can't comprehend what's supposed to be what. Like, I got that, but I just can't tell who's supposed to be who. Uh, is, he, is it in a boat? The graphics? Yeah, it, yeah it's, they, it's in like a sunken ship. They got to get it out of this like chest. So let me sour mash this for a minute. Okay. You know how you get around this and you make this really exciting and a lot more fun and get back to the actual rating of the golden idol on top of that throne? Yeah, go for it. You put this sunken ship in a museum in Greece. Mm. And he's the only one that knows or he's playing a hunch Mm -hmm. as to where this thing is kept on this ship. Why didn't you ever want to do it before, Andy? Well, there was no reason to steal it then because nobody ever knew where the Dial of Destiny was. Mm -hmm. Now you have to break into the museum, get around security, get into this ship. We're not troubled with water and snakes and eels and all this other things that make it difficult to see what happens. And, and you get to play into two things. Number one, let's use Teddy, the expert thief for something other than whatever the hell he is in this movie and have him help. And then you get to raid Mm -hmm. an ancient thing that is more like what I want to see in the indie movie. Not to say they made this movie for me. I'm not saying that, Mm -hmm. but you're kidding yourself, everybody, if you didn't want to see Indy break into some apparatus area, mm. tomb, whatever you want to call it, and essentially a sunken ship would be a tomb by definition, I guess, mm-hmm. the bodies that are in there. Yeah. And and like you go you get into the captain's chambers and it's the third board on the captain's floor, but who wherever. Yeah. That's all good stuff, but nope, we do it in water, and like, let's just hurry and get out of the water and get dry and get into the red line of travel and get on with this, mm-hmm. this labor. We do have a, an interesting scene here. So once they bring it back to the surface, you know, uh, Mads Mikkelsen and crew are waiting for them. It's almost like they're playing they're playing like this race to like see who gets it. It's very Last Crusade-like with Donovan and... Um, uh, Ellison duty. I mean, they're like, they're constantly like, who's going to get to that thing first. And they're kind of just kind of playing a, a race. Yeah. Um, but yeah. they're there, you know, they beat them up. Uh, but then they got to kind of translate what this graphicos is going to kind of reveal where the second half of this dial is. And I did like this little bit from Helena that, you know, she is, you know, interpreting it, but kind of not giving them like the full answer. And in the yep. meantime, she, you know, she is able to light this stick of dynamite, which is enough to get them, you know, uh, an escape. It's going to sink this ship, but it's going to get them, uh, you know, to to the adjacent ship where they can, you know, then get out of there. Uh, I thought that yeah. was I thought that was pretty clever. Uh, 
kind of a, a good use of, you know, smarts with kind of wit that I guess they're trying to do with that character. But I think that was the first instance that I really saw it in the movie. Um, fair. I'm agree with you on all that. That's all. Yeah, you're right. That's it, the first time. And that is a good use. You're right. I'll give them that. But we are going to get to uh, something that you're looking forward to. So we're, we're going to go now to, you know, they, they read the Graphicos and they're going to go to Archimedes' tomb because they said he was buried with the other half and it, that's in Sicily. So we're going to do kind of a labyrinth cavern-like uh, thing. And I thought this was this was pretty cool too, that there is a little bit of solving that they kind of have to do along the way. Uh they had kind of a pretty icky scene in there where they got to like traverse this cavern and there's a bunch of centipedes and real nasty shit in there. I was, you and your bugs. I know I was like, no, thank you. And they were big too. Mm-hmm. They weren't just like regular, you know, length. these were like gigantic. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they kind of get into like a room that I think was like being like, had like, like sulfur or it was some sort of like poisonous fume. Uh, but when they got into the water, you know, that was kind of the puzzle that, you know, kind of opened up this, you know, drain underneath that opened up into the 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 next catacomb. I was like, this is the stuff I love about, like, these types of things. It's Indiana Jones right. or Uncharted, which was like, I got to pull this lever to, like, open this thing up. And it's going to have a booby trap, but, like, it's had to get into the next room. And we just keep going deeper and deeper. Yeah. Uh, that worked pretty well for me. Uh up until, you know, we get to the tomb and they're just like, oh my God, I can't believe it's this guy uh, that we've been studying. Here's his grave. And of course he's buried with the the thing. But mm-hmm. Indy notices that he's also buried with this wristwatch, which yeah. is going to come into play here in just a little bit. But I thought there was a pretty big miss here on two fronts with the Mad, Mads Mikkelsen's crew. A- how come we didn't see a scene of them going through the bugs? Like you're telling me those guys got through there and didn't freak out. Like, right. They just kind of show up like right behind them. And was like, we'll take that now, Dr. Jones. And I was like, how did you guys, how did we not see that scene? That would have been awesome. And then something they've been teasing through this whole film that we haven't even talked about. I don't know who plays him. I don't even know his name. I don't even know the actor, but there's like a Nazi heavy in this film that may as well be Victor Drago. Uh, he's gigantic and he's beating the hell out of everybody. And I was like, I don't know what this fight looks like, but if Harrison Indy has to fight him, dude, Indy's dying. He's dying in that yeah. fight. He can't take right. that guy. But hey, give me give me Temple of Doom era Indy against this guy. And I think that's a very exciting scene. Mm, yeah. But I was really kind of infuriated that Teddy, this little boy, who's handcuffed to him, they kind of end up in the water. And then he, we've established, I guess that he's like a pickpocket. So he's really good at picking locks and stuff. Mm. He, he handcuffs, he handcuffs this guy to this like uh great underneath the water. And this guy just drowns out very pathetically. I was like, that kind of robbed us. I think of an interesting scene. Total waste of that. The heavy muscle that gets it in every film that they decided they didn't want to do here. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I yeah, mean, no, you're right. They just we didn't even. See, I don't want to see a guy perish by drowning because I don't know what that looks like. Other than your just eyes go wide and you just sort of go still. Yeah, but yeah, it's a pretty lame way to go. Um, I guess good for Teddy showed what his little skill is. But again, like I said earlier, for me, and you're right. As much as that character is wasted, that the heavy Russian guy that is. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I cared at this point. I was just like, let's go. Yeah, let's. Let's just go. Come yeah. on, get on with it. That's 
you can tell I'm, I'm done with this film by this point. So, <laughs> yeah. and you got another, the, you got another 30, 35 minutes left. I don't, not an hour, but yeah. you, you got a decent Perfect. amount left. Uh, yeah. so they shoot Indy. They wound him, I think pretty bad. Uh, yeah, right they take, the they take, arm. they take the other piece of the dial. So now they have the full thing. And now Helena and Teddy have to kind of give chase to go save Indy. Uh, so I think now's a good time to talk about Voller's plan. Uh, I think he, uh, through research and what Archimedes has written about this device is that it could be used to go through time fissures uh, to go back to certain dates, um, mm-hmm. kind of acting, I guess, as a time machine from his perspective. And so his grand scheme is like, hey, I saw everything that the Nazi party did wrong. So I'm going to go back a little bit before things got heavy. Let's going to go back to 1939. I'm going to kill Hitler. I'm going to take his place and I'm going to do it the right way. Uh, yeah. I thought that was a pretty interesting villain plot, right? Uh, here you have this guy who thinks he can do Hitler one better and not fail and essentially change the course of 20th century uh, world history if he succeeds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's pretty villainous. I think that's pretty hateable. Uh, so to Mickelson's credit, and he's, and I think he's really good in the movie. Uh, yeah. Raise it up to that. That's a good character plot for a villain mm-hmm. by that. That's, you know, not the thing we talk about every week that rubbling, ruling over rubble. This is, yeah. he was close, but he made these mistakes. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make those mistakes because I can do this better by assassinating Hitler to be the better version of Hitler. Yeah. You're yeah. a very, very bad guy. Yeah. You're a really bad guy. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty detestable. But, mm-hmm. th- but then once they get up in the air, they're getting in this plane, there's a storm going. And so I guess they're trying to get to the location of this open fissure. Now that they've, you know, used the dial, uh, at this point, Matt, I'm like, Oh my God, what, what is about to happen in this movie? Are we, are we seriously, are we about to go, is this thing going to turn into the DeLorean and we're going to go into another time? I was like, what is this film about to set itself up to do? Uh, I think the flight, what you said, I know, right. I think the flight to the fissure is very exciting. It's intense. Somehow Teddy is able to fly this little nothing plane and he's able to Mm -hmm. kind of keep up behind them. Uh, But Indy kind of gives him a good piece of education, which was, you know, Archimedes didn't know about continental drift. So your coordinates are a bit off. Mm Mm-hmm. And essentially what we're about to find out about this dial is that it was never intended to be used as a time machine, but rather for to be used by Archimedes to bring assistance back to this uh, siege of Syracuse, right? In 2212 uh, BC. Yeah. So they go through this, this like hole in the sky. It just looks like white kind of sky and they go through it and then they descend and you're like, oh my God, are we here in 1939 Germany? Which... One fear I had uh, with this idea was, is this just going to turn into like a greatest hits and now we're just going to time travel from Raiders to Last Crusade to Crystal Skull like and just kind of like do a nostalgia wink wink while we defeat the villain? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to see that. So I was really nervous. I was like, we're going to see all the old shit. Yeah. Um, but they come through here and it's 2012 BC and uh, there's ships, there's arrows, there's mortars. Matt, I just got to know, just, yeah, I know you're pretty out of the movie at this point. It's doing little to move your dial. Wink, wink. Uh, yeah. What did you think of this? What, 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 what even comes across your mind when, when this happens? The, the sum total, this is what we were, what I was forecasting with you the other night when we talked prior to the show. Yeah. 
why there is this insistence from Disney properties to continually beat this same dead horse, and that is time travel. What is the insistence on jumping back to time? And I gave that a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. And I think the answer is this. There's nothing here right now. Your biggest battle on the frontiers of 2023 is either AI, ugh, no thanks, yeah. or you know, I, I guess viral, viral load. Mm-hmm. No one wants to see Indiana Jones take on either one of those films. So one of the problems of living into a relatively peaceful time, I don't want to say politically, but um, militaristically, mm-hmm. is you don't have a natural villain save, you know, the terrorist cell in the middle of some cave, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Okay. You got that. That, mm-hmm. that doesn't play in Indiana Jones either. Yeah. And as I thought about this further, I was thinking back to my final years when I was teaching my, my, my film theory class. It became quite a challenge for me to get my kids to put their phones away mm-hmm. to watch whatever movie we were showing that particular week. Now understand that they took these classes to watch film Mm -hmm. and instead of watching the film, which they really struggled to do because the film is 90 minutes to 300 minutes, depending on the movie, I suppose. Yeah. Their attention spans were so short because they spent all their time on whatever little silly vine Mm -hmm. TikTok two minute video. Yeah. And then I I took that one step further, Jesse, Mm -hmm. and this is getting back to your question. I'll get back. Just give me a chance to get around it here. Short of Katniss and Harry Potter, this decade, this last 10 years, is devoid of any meaningful, fictionalized character of significance. If you can't draw from that, that is, there's no properties to option, there's no scripts to adapt from novels, then what you're left with is reheating that which has already been told time and time again, Indiana Jones, another Star Wars, another Transformers, another Jurassic Park, whatever you want to do, right? Mm -hmm. And those gets back to what we were talking about earlier. Because they are not from this era, they feel dated, and that story has been told in some manner through 50 chases, and now we've done three more or four more in this one. I guess, Guy, if you want to include this. Mm-hmm. There's nothing fresh. Add to that, the properties are all owned by like three large media conglomerates. Yeah. And Disney's the worst of them. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it. Disney's, the, they've ruined Marvel, essentially. They've really put the Star Wars universe on life support. And we've seen now what they've done to this because, I mean, this has not been a glowing review by any means to this point in the movie. And we haven't got to, I I think you probably would say, is the worst part of the movie or the biggest um, economizing the monkeys yet. Because there's no no influences and because there's so little outside media interest in fiction because we're on essentially TikTok reality-based media. Yeah. There's no hunger. Mm -hmm. So you brought this up, and here's your answer, Jesse. Okay, we're jumping back in time. Another mediocre story thread that I'm tired of. Okay, so that's that's my answer. Mediocre again. Here we go, jumping through time. Mm -hmm. Because the same company isn't being challenged to do anything different. 
because there's no hunger for anything different. So instead, the time element of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how that played in Endgame is setting the standard for all of these things because these companies aren't necessarily interested in story. They're interested in dollars. And so we once again settle on the same thing, which is, well, nobody really wants anything else. And I guess we'll do this from the same tired property that nobody really wanted another version of. And in the process of doing, we'll go with something that we know kind of paint our way out of. And that's, we'll just jump back to a different time to Archimedes. Mm -hmm. That, that, that's what we're, the Archim- of all the ancient civilizations, we're going to Archimedes. We're not going to the, the Sistine Chapel or, oh my God, I'm so out. That's my answer. Okay. I'm so out. Yeah. I literally was like sighing noticeably in the, like, oh my God, get me the F out of here. Yeah. What? It's late. Let's go home. This is terrible. Yeah. And I don't know how you fix that. Well, what they, are young writers today that are being inspired by like rock videos and things like comic books? Like we used to, like we used to read. What are they inspired by now? Well, they a should bunch go, of idiots dancing on TikTok. Well, they should, nothing. Well, they should go watch Raiders then because each scene in, in that film is like that, like time span, right? It's like four to five minutes, and then we're moving on to the next thing. Four to five minutes onto the next scene. We're not having these like crazy exposition dumps over just sitting around, right? Everything's yeah. done in just such a meticulous fashion. And that was definitely a lot of that is Spielberg. Uh, I'm not saying him in the director's chair here is going to really kind of change this, but Matt, I'm going to tell you this. I'll take, I'll take this over the alien UFO bullshit last week. Like I, I, I'm kind of going with it and kind of like uh, economize, jump, nuke the fridge, jump the shark, yeah. I can't believe we're doing this, but you know what? I'm here. Let's do it. Let's just let's just okay. do it. Let's just have the scene and see what this thing looks like. And, you know, they think this plane's a dragon. Uh they blow up the Nazi plane, Mads <laughs> Mickelson and crew blow up, but uh Indian Helena uh jump in a parachute. Uh I can't imagine with all these uh, Romans and and Greeks uh are comprehending of what's happening right now. Uh, and the fact that they're going to find possibly these bodies with Nazi sashes, like what's that going to mean for the butterfly effect? Uh, Mm -hmm. but then you had this Mm -hmm. scene here and it's so wild. I mean, there's this scene where Archimedes literally goes up to Indy and Helena and Harrison Indy is just like, I want you to leave me here. Like you can't, uh, like I want to, I have nothing left. Like I'm just going to die. I want to die here. She's like, if we do that, like. We're, we're screwing up everything, right? We can't just leave this human here. Like all the timelines and time fissures and time branches and time jumping, everything is going to be so screwed up if I leave this old man here to die with this other old man. <laughs> it was just, I was, I was kind of laughing. I couldn't believe it was happening, but I was like, oh gosh, I was like, at least it, it's not, it didn't sucker punch me the way Crystal Skull did. I'll say that much watching the film. I'm kind of going with it. I'm like the one the one want I I didn't want in this film. Uh I was desperately hoping that we weren't going to have some sort of time jump and then he gets to have some sort of scene with CGI Sean Connery him and dad yeah. one last time. Oh man, I would have I would have puked in the theater had that happened. Uh, yeah, me too. So give me give me uh, a scene with him and Archimedes in 212 BC, uh, 
And then, and that, that's what we have. You got it. It's wild. It's I, like to, to, to people out there that haven't seen the movie, um, we'll get to the ratings in a little bit, but oh my, you, you kind of got to see this scene. Don't you, Matt? Like, even if, if w- w- no matter what part of the dial of, uh, consensus you come down on in this film, you kind of got to see how this unfolds. It's my, my explaining to it does not do it justice. Okay. That's fair. You do. Uh, you, you, I mean, I guess you have to see how the, the whole thing shakes out in the end. And there is one important question and that's, are we going to give this man as this character, the proper send off that he didn't get after the last film? Mm-hmm. That's all fair. All that's fair. So, yeah, I mean, there's that piece mm-hmm. of interest. Uh, sadly, I don't know if it's story thread or anecdotal thread, mm-hmm. but I guess we'll, we'll stick around and see where it's going. So I'm with you on that so far, but, uh, I thought this Archimedes bit was a little crazy in so far as if he sticks around, I could get that because he's so unhappy with his life back in, you know, regular contemporary time. But what I didn't get is is he so desperate that he'll take the first offer that's other than what he does? Cause he doesn't have other than in this film, a long history of great memories and admiration for Archimedes. Frankly, we've never even heard of Archimedes in this series before. So mm-hmm. back to what you said, is he so torn up over the loss of his son and his wife leaving him again that he'll take any way out? Sure. And that makes me buy, man, I'd rather be anywhere than in my normal life, including in the middle of this battle for Syracuse in 2012 BC, yeah. where I'm going to screw up the entire history of mankind, <laughs> as long as you set it up. Yeah. And with seven writers that are all professional, might I dare say, A-list writers, yeah. how they couldn't come to that conclusion in the room is, is troubling for me. It's troubling. He's a man of history to die amongst history. I mean, he's getting to see something he's literally never, no humans ever seen other than the people mm-hmm. that lived it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. No, it's just, yeah, I like that he didn't stay there because I would have, you know, we'd be having a whole Captain America, Peggy Carter conversation if he did stay. Oh, my God. Um, but thankfully, you know, Helena knocks him out. We And then we, because the movie's already kind of long, we don't have to see Teddy in the plane barely making it and getting it off the ground to go back through the fissure. So it's they just cut all of that and they just cut to his apartment a couple weeks later. He's coming to with, you know, whatever his bullet wound's been healed, his concussion, he's got whatever. Uh, you know, Helena's there kind of kind of helping out. And then we see, you know, Teddy come and then Sala comes in with his kids and they're like, oh, we brought groceries and he, ho, ho. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then Marion, Karen Allen, uh, comes through, uh, but hers is a little more sweet. I think it's more wifely. It's almost like she saw the call to action of like, wow, this guy was like really at death's door, really screwing things up. And I kind of, I kind of like the moments between the two of them here at the end. They kind of do a nice play on the, where does it hurt or here and here. And, yeah. uh, I never knew, you know, going into like last week or watching Raiders growing up, I was like, wow, they really paid, they really made Marion Ravenwood like a character that like, I guess had some weight to it. Right. She yeah. wasn't just a one-off, like they've been able to go to that well a little bit more. I th- and I think at the end of the day, I th- thought that worked pretty well for me. Uh, what do you okay. think? What do you think of this end? 
I'm glad she's back and we're going to get to give this man a peaceful end. I just don't know what conversation Helena, I would assume, had with Marion because Indy's been out cold since they returned home from the Fisher Mm -hmm. that said, your husband needs you to come back home that Indy couldn't have said to her himself. Again, I don't want the movie to be any longer. Enough's enough. That's fine. Was it that quick a fix? Yeah, it had to to be something of like, he's going to die. He might not make it. Do you want to come help out, get some groceries, do his laundry? Something like that, right? Yeah, and again, it's nice to see her show up at the end, and I didn't maybe want to have the phone call because then that spoils it and lets the cat out of the bag, the big cat out of the bag that we just let out of the bag. Mm -hmm. So I understand the mechanisms on why that it went the way that it did. And all in all, it's nice to see her come back and she has to be there to finish him off. And so far as the way the story goes, she has to be there. So I'm glad she's there. Finish, finish him off. Well, they're going to do that too, because uh, the last shot of the film is he pulls his hat off the clothesline and uh, you better believe he's putting that hat on before they get down to business. (laughs) Yep. Is that a whip in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, and yeah. yeah, that's that's the capper on that. Um, I don't know if I have any other little like trivia anecdotes other than the road to get to this film was wild. COVID delays and David Kep and George Lucas yeah. getting there. And eventually they just got rid of those guys when Lucasfilm was sold to Disney, which, you know, maybe not the best decision. I, I, don't, I don't know, but... Out goes George Lucas, in comes Kathleen Kennedy. Sweet. What a good deal for us. Well, you know what's weird? It's just like those two, I know they're like, yeah, pick one or the other, but then they, they've kind of been tied together for years anyway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes, she, they her, have. Her credit's on all, all the, from Temple of Doom. She's got a credit on Raiders and then all the Star Wars stuff. Like, I, I have no idea where to come down on that argument. Uh, but yeah. I, th- I think the most alarming thing, and this kind of just speaks to like the money side of this thing is, $295 million budget. Like, holy God. Uh, yep. Almost $300 million to make this indie film. I can't yep. I, I can't understand that. It, unless it really truly costs that much to de-age Harrison in those opening scenes. And, you well, know, or they took the lark to actually go and shoot in Greece and Tangiers and Algeria and all of those places to make it look authentic. I, I, I don't see it either. There's not a real big set piece in this entire film yeah. that would seem to speak to that. For retrospect, you know, and take inflation into account, but Raiders cost $20 million in 81 money to make. That's nowhere near $295 million in 81 money. No way. No way. And, you know, no these films were based on the original, like the like 1930s, 1940s Flash Gordon cliffhanger serials like Dick Tracy, uh, where, you know, those films were made like on the cheap, like gritty, uh, authentic stunt work. And they're supposed to kind of look not as refined. Uh, yeah. Why are we making $300 million? Indiana Jones film is kind of the antithesis of what the backbone of this series is to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't disagree with that at all. Did you want to go over the national or international and domestic numbers too? For that people, if you don't have those, I do have them. Well, I think the combined total, well, our opening was like 60 million. And I think it's maybe around 80 and I think 154 million worldwide. worldwide. Which, yeah. yeah right. I mean, that's, that's not amazing. Right. So we'll no, have to, not see, good. we'll have to see when the, rest of the worldwide totals come in if it's able to kind of break even, but 
that's pretty alarming uh, from just a money perspective. And I know we do talk dollars and cents sometimes on this show. I mean, I yeah, just, I just, um, I just told you off my just. I was, I was like, I, just, I was like, I watched Christopher Nolan's, you know, debut film. It costs six thousand dollars to make. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just uh-huh. you just can't believe some of this stuff. Sometimes I just, I don't know what we spend while making movies. Uh, sometimes because I don't think that two ninety five is production budget. I don't think that takes into account marketing budget, which is a whole nother number. That's probably oh like a hundred million dollars. Yeah, what I read, the article I read is this movie in its cost to release was going to be tickling $400 million. That's a significant chunk of the war purse put in <clears throat> to filmmaking that went into this on what seemed to be kind of a slam dunk winner. Mm-hmm. How did this not, not survive? I mean we can say maybe there is tentative appetite after what happened with crystal skull, but that's so long ago. And the indie fan base is so loyal. I think most people have probably forgiven and forgotten and moved on and at least willing to give this guy another shot. Mm -hmm. And then those numbers, the 60 nationwide for me was stunning. I thought this would at least get to a, to triple figures. Yeah. 60. That's like you and me and five other people saw this film. Not really, but Bad weekend against no competition, nothing else, nothing. I, I think one of the problems that they, they did, and maybe they shouldn't have done this in retrospect, but this film premiered at the Cannes Film Festival back in mid-May. And oh. so people got to see it early on, and then the reviews started coming out, and they were very kind of just like middle of the road, like not overly glowing. Yeah. And so I think, you know, it had time for word to get out. Or like, oh, this new indie's like not like kind of up to par with the other one. So maybe they shouldn't yeah. have premiered it so early and just like maybe the week before it came out, right? Yeah, maybe. Might have had a, a little bit more anticipation. Well, and that's not a Cannes Film Festival kind of movie either. Like when is Tentpole Summer Action Movie? Uh, that's, that's a very strange decision made sure. by a company that continues to puzzle me with some of the decisions that they make. Sure. Uh, yeah. how are you going to rate? Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. what is your favorite tasting note moment sequence scene of Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny? I'm straying away from all the action bit and I'm going to give it to a moment of interest that you brought up that I also really liked. And that's when Indy gives us two sentences that explain what he'd like to do with the dial of destiny. And that's go back and fix his son's death mm-hmm. because from that point forward, his life has been, just enough people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harrison Ford rarely gets to show that vulnerable or regretful side. It's just been the nature of his career. Yeah. It was nice to see Indy do that. And I could see a man that, you know, 77 years old as a character, looking back at all the things he's lost and lo- and being more upset with that than all the artifacts that he's had in his finger that have slipped away. It was a really big moment. Yeah. It wasn't played out enough, but there was, the the bones of something very very sturdy that was almost constructed there. Great choice. Uh, I think I'm going to go with tomb raiding in Sicily. Is that mm-hmm. the word? Yeah, for Archimedes' tomb. I thought like kind of all the little steps there, the bugs, the the gas. Uh, yeah. I didn't like you know getting chained to the great and drowning, but like everything else in there worked pretty well. It felt like, dare I say the traditional Indiana Jones moment. Yeah. And I thought there was a cool, I don't know if it's in that scene or if it was earlier, it might be in that scene where I th- there was a dropped line of like, 
well, Helena, you've never had to drink the Kali blood before. And I was like, I thought that was a good reference of like, yeah. I had to do this crazy thing before and it turned me into a zombie and it made me crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, excellent. What are we going to choose for the... Oh my God! Moment of Dial of Destiny. God, that's a good one. Do you have one lined up? I, I, I'm still thinking. If you've got one, go ahead. Um, I think I'm going to go with the time travel jump just because I I kind of thought that the plane was going to skirt by and not even go through it and like we did it in the nick of time. Uh, because when he tells him about continental drift, I think they're trying to kind of get away from it uh, at the last mm-hmm. second. And then I kind of thought Teddy was going to like ram the plane to get it out of the path, which would have been so stupid. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't think we were going to do it. And then we did it. And I was just like kind of flabbergasted in a bad and good way at the same time. I don't know. It's, it was a weird emotion when I was watching it. Um, but like I said, I think I'll, I'll take that over the, the alien UFO crystal skull nonsense, but it, yeah, it was a pretty, Oh my God, like we're doing it. We're doing it. And we're, we're not half assing it either. (laughs) Yeah. We're all in. Yeah. I think mine's in the same neck of the woods there. Okay. I think it's when Indy's having a conversation with Archimedes on the beach as they are being bombed, shot, strafed by Nazis in the middle of another battle. It's just so much going on at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah. It's uh, very uh, implausible, certainly, which you can't say that these movies have to <laughs> rely on possibility because it would be a movie. Sure. I'm not yeah. trying to be that guy. Yeah. But, uh, it's uh, economizing the monkeys to a degree that I wasn't really ready for. No, I don't think anybody was ready for that. Nuking the fridge, economizing the monkeys, all of those things. Excellent. Who's the yeah. master distiller on Dial of Destiny? Uh, you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. I, I do think for all of its problems, and there's been you know nearly two hours of them being explained right now, I do think Harrison Ford is still good as Indy. I think he might have been the redeeming point of the film and rightfully should have been, it yep. is his name that leads the title. Mm-hmm. So, um, he should be, and I thought if this is his swan song, they've at least corrected whatever the hell happened at the end of crystal skull. But, uh, you know, there's still some, some ways to go to a complete <laughs> cleansing of the character, but nonetheless, I thought he, he did a fine job as an aged Indian in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with the same one. Yeah, no ageism here. I thought, you know, I thought he's still really good as the character. Uh, older, definitely a lot more weathered, a lot slower. I mean, his action scenes are definitely different than even La- uh, Crystal Skull was able to offer. Um, but I think the, the heart of the character is still there. And I think for the first time in the series, he's been able to kind of show some dramatic chops of what's behind the veil of the character. Yeah. Uh, and I thought those were all really good. And I was like, gosh, I kind of wanted more of these throughout the series. I was like, I'm not changing Raiders. It's a perfect movie. But um, yeah. I think the character had a little bit more room for, you know, a couple untapped uh, dimensions of uh, emotion. So, no, nah, he's great. Uh, and to piggyback on last week, I always, you know, didn't think he was too good in Crystal Skull. He's good in that movie, too. Uh, he knows his character. I think he likes playing it. Uh, he's really good as it. So yeah, Mr. Ford for my master distiller. Yeah. How are you going to rate and grade Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny? Our rating system based all on liquor. We have rock gut, well call single barrel 
and Tippy Top Shelf. Where are you going for this one? Well, unfortunately, uh, this is Jack and Coke after you've had a couple burgers on the 4th of July and it just is something that's kind of party-like and a little bit fun, mm-hmm. but you don't want to get too in the teeth with it because if you really start looking at what's in there, you'll be like, this really isn't that good. So that's what this is for me, just a well film. Um, I, I can't even say it's average. I think it's a little bit below average. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was a little disappointed, um, but I can't go to Rock Cut. I, I can't go that low. Yeah. I, just, okay. I can't get to Rock Cut. Excellent, excellent. How about you? Uh, I think I'm going to go call minus. Yeah. I think there's uh, th- there's some good moments of the film, and we've, we've talked about them, and I think there's some very perplexing things, and then there's just some like, oh, my God, like we're really doing it, let's do it kind of moments in here. But I think if yeah. you're an indie completist, I mean, if you saw the other films, you, you kind of got to see this one too, you know, if you're like sure. a fan of the series. I mean, if you went to go see Rise of Skywalker, you can sit and watch this movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a better conclusion than Crystal Skull was. It's still a little too CGI heavy, uh, for me in a lot of parts in the chase sequences and action bits, and especially in that opening, uh, uh, those opening, uh, cold open. But, uh, I think there's some okay stuff here. I definitely enjoyed this a lot more than, than Flash, but maybe not by the, I think the margin's still pretty, pretty close there. Um. but yeah, I think, you know, I think I wasn't as disappointed as you, Matt, just because, you know, I, I saw what Crystal Skull did and I was like, I expect better effort this time, but I still don't think it'll be, it can't be the other films, right? I mean, that bar is so high up, I don't know how we'd be able to to get there, um, especially with this older older version of the character, but... From, from the deck yeah. they were playing with, I think, you know, Mads Mikkelsen's great. I think his, his plot is very interesting uh, from a villain's perspective. And, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check this one out again. It's it's 25 minutes too long, though. Yes. Oh, man, that's No a, question about that. So just real quick, and we'll get to the nightcap. What's the future of the character, Matt? Is, you know, I've heard a few things that, you know, it dies with Harrison that we're not going to let him play. You know my perspective, you know, let's go the Bond route and just find a new actor that can do it. But mm-hmm. um, what do you think? Oh, I think if they can find a reasonable way to put somebody else in the whip and the hat and give it a modern spin, then I'm fine. And if that's going to be grandson or granddaughter, then I'm fine with that. We need to pass the mantle and get that character to 2023 because I think the advantages that technology offers in 2023 leads to a cooler way to explore caves and, and raid tombs and such than, you know, hidden in this vase on this 15th shelf if we shatter it, blah, 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 which that works too, but it's just time for, uh, it's time for a passing of the torch. But as much as I'm arguing for that, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily care if this character doesn't go the way of the dinosaurs. Yeah. It's okay just to let, we've had five, six films, if you include young, in, or was it the young Indiana Jones series? Yeah. Um, it's okay to just be done. Let's, how about this? Let's, let's make a new character. Let's just go make some new heroes. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I could kind of see that, but 
I think if the formula is there, uh, those first three films are so formulaic, they write themselves. It's just putting in a new MacGuffin and different locations, right? And it's something mm-hmm. that the Bond franchise has done for the better part of 25 films and 60 yeah. years now. Uh, it's yeah. remarkable how that's been able to turn along. I mean, you can get Spielberg and Lucas as advisors and producers and then just get in new directors, new actors, new supporting cast, and just keep them one-offs. So, like, we don't have to do like what these films decided to do, which was like a overarching story with characters that are going to kind of you know, come back in this. You could just do one-off little little tales. Uh, one thing that the Uncharted... Well, there's a, there's a really cool conjuring way to do it, too, Jesse, and that's mm-hmm. on his, do- his death. Yeah. Grandson or whoever you want to take the mantle mm-hmm. goes through the attic that's filled with trinkets and maps and gizmos and all of these things, and he finds his writings that lead into one or another of the 65 possibilities that are in there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, there, there's a way to do that, and I cut you off, and I'm mm-hmm. sorry about that. I just I wanted to get so go. I'm sorry, take the reins back. No, take yeah. the mic back, buddy. No, yeah, just think, just think of all the just the untapped artifacts, whether Christian based yeah. or you yeah. know, Mayan, Aztec, you know, it's just all over, uh, you know, Asian artifacts. I mean, you can have a lot of fun with this, and that's one thing the Uncharted franchise gets really right, which is you know, the antagonists in those games always kind of seem to be just like rival archaeologists that like really just want to kind of get a leg up on Nate uh, in those games. Like it doesn't have to be Nazis all the time. It doesn't have to be the Soviets. It doesn't have to be so big. Um, You can just be like trying to race the guy to get that thing. That way it doesn't end up in the wrong hands because they're going to like sell it to the highest bidder. Um, I do think the key though lies in who you cast to play Indy, who follows the gigantic shoes of Harrison Ford playing that character it's going to be tricky. Uh, it can't be, it can't be someone we're so overexposed to. Like it can't be Chris Pratt. It can't be Tom Holland. Like you almost kind of got to go with an unknown person and then just give them a good story worth investing in, uh, and go back to Raiders, the templates there. Just let's do something like that. Real simple and real straightforward with a really cool character. And then it opens the floodgates. If that guy makes three indie films, then his tenure's done. Then we can go make another four with someone else. And then, the stories write themselves. Again, just go look at that Bond franchise. They, they tapped into the franchise universe before them and Godzilla. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's find a new cool monster for him to fight and just kind of do a little bit of the same stuff, right? Let's just switch it up a bit and just, let's just, ha- how about this, everyone? Let's just, let's entertain the audience instead of boring <laughs> them to tears. How about that? How about that? Let's wrap this up with a nightcap. So that, that that music cue right there is from uh, the opening of the film when they're fiddling around with that train and everything. But John Williams is, I, I love John Williams. And, you know, he was able to kind of blend two different Nazi themes that he made. The first one was Last Crusade. And then it goes into that, you know, kind of Nazi convoy chase music from Raiders. Just kind of blended like really seamlessly together. Yeah. That guy at 92 still knows how to put together a film score. That's awesome. Yeah. 
So kind of picking back on what we were just talking about here, our nightcap question is, what are the top three franchises that you think need to go the way of the dinosaurs and either remain extinct and we just don't touch them anymore? I'm not talking, no more sequels, no more reboots, reimaginings, requels, sidequels, no more dabbling in that franchise. We just need to let it be. Uh, I'm very curious to hear your top three. So what's your number three? You want to go three, three, two, two, one, one? Yeah, yeah. Three for me is the Terminator. Leave it alone. There's nothing else there. Leave it alone. Uh, yeah, good choice. Might show up again later on mine. My number three, <laughs> uh, we did a episode on the last film in this franchise, and it was a total colossal train wreck. Uh, it's the Jurassic Park franchise. Yeah. I think we're all chasing, we're, we're chasing Spielberg again, right? And that magic of what made that first film so good, and it ain't cloned girls, it ain't B.D. Wong floating around and whatever he's doing, and Campbell Scott, uh, and it ain't that new cast. Uh, Yeah, I know we like dinosaurs, and visually they look awesome on screen, but uh, not if they're going to be done like those last three films were. So Jurassic Park's my easy number three. Yeah, that's a good one. That's uh that, that didn't make my list, but it sure could have. Yeah. Um, I did think about it a little bit, but it doesn't quite get there. Mm-hmm. Number two. Number two for me. Mm-hmm. Ooh, sorry about this one, buddy. Halloween. <laughs> done. Leave it alone. Halloween's done. Uh, no more. It's over. That ship has sailed. We're good. Halloween's done. No yeah. more Halloween. Leave okay. Uh, to Halloween's credit and to, you know, I, I kind of kicked the tires on that. I was like, ah, oh, is it time for Halloween to stop? Uh, Halloween ends was so divisive amongst Halloween fans. There's people that just hated it. And there was people that really liked it. Uh, and the reason I liked it uh, was because it kind of did a crazy out of left field twist turn that that franchise kind of really hasn't done before. Uh, and I was like 13 films, 14 films in, I was like, we're still kind of finding unique ins and outs to doing it. But I don't know if I'm on board your train yet, Matt, I think it needs to, go dormant for a number of years and I'll, I'll return to Haddonfield one more time, but okay. I, I am done with Woodsboro and uh, Sydney Prescott and scream. Uh, yeah. And I think the problem is, is, you know, Michael Myers is a boogeyman. Jason's a boogeyman. Freddie's a boogeyman. And these Ghostface killers are just copycats. They're just kind of regurgitating what came before them. And if these Ghostface kind of saw what happened to their predecessors, they probably wouldn't, go through with it because they all end up getting killed. Uh, right. The stretching of making all of that still churn along and happen is really suspending a lot of dis- uh, disbelief. Um, the, the last Scream movie, Scream 6, I thought was actually pretty good. It had some, It was violent. It had some great kills. It was in the city. Very unique, but it was just kind of more of the same. It was kind of the diehard formula. It was just like, how can the same thing keep happening to the same group of people six times now? Um, mm. And I think Halloween differs a little bit in that regard because we've had a season of a witch. We've had the cult of thorn. We've had Rob yeah. zombie and whatever the hell he was doing. Um, yeah. So scream just hasn't done that yet, but I don't know if I'm, if I'm sticking around to, to do any more of that. So uh, that's my screams number. out for you. That screams out for me. Okay. Number one, ready? Yeah. Star Wars. Ooh. It needs to be done. In all it, facets, it, TV show, movie, goodbye. spinoffs. Good, no, they'll never do it. They'll never, ever do it. It's done. It's played out. Like, 
even what is considered good is only really mediocre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that there's a lot of love that's been bestowed on the Mandalorian and I can get on board for about a season and a half of that. Uh, but that when you look at the entirety of everything that is kind of like the franchise for me in whole, and that's about one and a half really good movies about half an okay movie and the rest is kind of on the road to mediocrity, uh, to terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I love star Wars. I do. I, yeah. I love it. And it breaks my heart to say this. They're never going to get away. And I'm sure you saw the announcement that the three films that they have now announced that are coming out, there's going to be another Ray iteration. Um, there's going to be a prequel that takes place before the new hope stuff that talks about like, how the Jedi's came to be Jedi's. Yeah. And then there's some other thing that I didn't, I, <sighs> I think James Mangold's actually making that one. Yeah, you're right. It yeah. is James Mangold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I want to see any of those. I certainly don't want to see the Ray one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just done. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm done. I don't care if a Sakatano, a Sakatano shows up. I don't care if you have a dually bladed lightsaber. I just don't care anymore. No. Like, I just, I don't care. I'm done. Okay. It's, it's so disappointing. Mm-hmm. I'm out. No more. Put it to bed. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah, I feel I feel a little of that. You a lot know? of people are pissed off right now, but I, I guess so. Yeah, there's I, a lot of people that are throwing stuff at their their computers where they're listening to. I don't. Th- I don't think so. I mean, when you look at the totality of Star Wars and just all the properties and everything they've made of it, I mean, I like New Hope, Empire. Hey, I'm a Last Jedi apologist, uh, and I, I do like Force Awakens. So I like four of the nine films that they made. Uh, yeah. have been, liked one and a half of the TV shows that they've done. Uh, mm-hmm. their expanded like book universe is amazing, but that's essentially been disavowed by Disney. Uh, yep. the Star Wars games I think are still pretty good, but yeah, I think I'm with you there. Unless they find like a unique way to do it, and it ain't the Skywalker family, ladies and gentlemen. Like I want to see new tales in the Star Wars universe, but right. I can see how it's kind of gone that way. So. Good, good controversial choice, but I stand behind it. Thank you. You're welcome. Yours. You're welcome. Uh, you mentioned it. It's it's Terminator. It's the film that popped up the second that the I posed the question. Man, I was out on two, and they made another four movies after that, and I hate all four of them. Uh, mm-hmm. That series, you know, without James Cameron's, you know, creative mind, has really struggled to find anything that isn't like redoing what already came before, and just a less interesting way. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a shame because I think there is some ground to play with there, but man, Terminator across the board, whether it's the Sarah Connor Chronicles or the video games, like it's all just very mediocre outside of those first two masterpieces. So um, yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah. It's just, you know that they're having conversations like, man, how can we get Terminator back from the grave? Uh you know, aliens kind of floating around in there, but I kind of need, like, I, I can't leave on, I like Alien more than the Terminator franchise, and Alien Covenant can't be the last Alien movie we make. Like, I need, like, a good one to go out on, and then we can stop. Yeah. I need a high note, people. I need a high note on that one. <laughs> Send him out with a win, please. Yeah, please. Thank you. But, hey, man, I got to tell you, man, my James Bond just, they find ways to just keep me satisfied for years on end, right? <laughs> 
that that didn't come into consideration at all for me in that in this question. So that's a good sign. It's just it's always fresh. It's uh, new eras, new creative directors, different actors, different perspectives, different tones. Uh, yeah. The Roger Moore Bond films are so different than what Daniel Craig did for his tenure. It's just. Again, I think yeah. there's a lot of lessons to be learned with that particular franchise for a lot of other franchises. Boy and how. Yeah. Well, that's a capper on Dial of Destiny and our time with Indiana Jones. Hey, Matt, we've done all the Indiana Jones films except Last Crusade. We might have to rectify that in the future. Yeah, that'd be fun. I'd love to cover that movie with you. That's yeah. a good idea. That's a good choice. Well, we are going to return to the summer box office hall of what and kind of pick our brains around whatever the hell happened here. I'm trying to get the year right. 2015, 2014, maybe 2014. Uh, we're going to talk a film that you and I have talked a lot about off mic. Sometimes on the show, it's been an answer on some of your questions, but we're going to return to a land of the wolf pack and the hangover part two. Uh, yeah, we'll talk yeah. about everything this film is and isn't, uh, and if it still is funny in its current iteration and form, how much do we enjoy the characters, even though we're doing the same thing in just a different setting. So, right. yeah, we're gonna have a ton to talk about with that one. That's going to be a interesting rewatch. Uh, and then, yeah, we're going to springboard into the rest of the summer after that. So I'm raising one up over here, Matt. Cheers. 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 Hey, I'm going to go snatch that dial of destiny. And you know what? If I think if I get the coordinates right, I think if I take in, um, uh, what was it? Not the prime meridian, uh, a continental drift into consideration. I think I can get crystal skull wiped from existence. How does that sound? Well, you could do that or you could just find doc Brown and get back to 1955. <laughs> yeah. We'll go Either back in time. Work just dandy. Yeah. Back in time. We'll blast some Huey Lewis while we do it. We'll see you on well, that. While you're there, get rid of the second and third iterations of that film as well, too. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is property of Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures and Lucasfilm Limited, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Who is this man? I'm her godfather. Get back.